are now listening to Triples in Ecstasy, a production of Holosuite Media. Tune in to our live show every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is Admiral James T. Kirk of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Your presence here is an act of war. You have two minutes to surrender your crew and your vessel, or we will destroy you. Admiral Kirk, this is your opponent speaking. Do not lecture me on treaty violations as this broadcast is intended for mature audiences. In the following podcast, there will be thoughts and opinions expressed that in no way reflect your federation, this station, website, or affiliated partners. Who is this? How dare you? Who I am is not important. Listen to discretion. Yes. You cling on, bastard. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Trips. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new content and new stuff, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to episode 252 of Tribbles and Ecstasy. I'm your host, Midnight Shadow, and joining me in the studio today, we have got... Oh my god, guys, it's another super mega happy fun time bundle from Stowe. It's Sun. Word up, Stewdog, y'all. <laughs> All I heard was a whole bunch of a lot of science vessels coming. Timberwolf here. You're about to enter the most fascinating sphere of space work. Science. Science! Science! Now, this week, we should have some bumpers. Um, it's been a few years since Tribbles have been playing bumpers in between the segments. I don't uh, see so nothing wrong with a bit of bumper grind. I finally got things sorted. I'd like to give a big shout out to Timmy D, who went and created them all. So, let's get on with some Star Trek Online. Star Trek Online. Okay, I like that. <laughs> And there's more. So, what's been going on in the world of Star Trek Online? Stu, did you want to go through what we have at the moment for the event calendar? Yes. Give them a moment so, to open the page. Yes, loading, loading. It's loading. good that we're all professional here and prepared. No, we are so prepared. <laughs> well, it's just because my, my computer is not enjoying things these days and... um. Even my parents have taken pity on me and want to pay for a new one. Go for it! <laughs> okay, so event calendar. We've got a Zen Charge 
bonus running until the 15th. So, when using PayPal, Skrill, Boa Compra, Exola, PaySafeCard, and Steam, you will get bonuses depending on how much Zen you buy. So for a thousand, you get a fifteen percent bonus. For between two thousand and five thousand, you get a twenty percent bonus. And ten thousand or twenty thousand, you'll get a twenty-five percent bonus amount added on top of that. Don't spend one to two hundred dollars on Zen. That's not a good percent bonus deal at all. Unless you want to buy lots of ships, because we've got a twenty percent ship sale going until the 13th. Also, someone might have mentioned somewhere new science ships, but we'll which get to are that in a second. Which are not on sale. Oh, well, yeah. I thought they were Nine. always on sale when they first came out. No, they're, they're currently the only thing not on sale in the ships tab. Yeah, the brand no. new ships are never the ones on sale. Uh, when ships... When, when singular ships come out... They're usually on sale for launch weekend. But this, we're talking about a nine pack. Right. This is a bundle set, so it's not going to be on sale because it is a bundle pack. Yeah, I was thinking back to uh, the whatever it was, the Command Sovereign. That was uh, discounted for a couple of days when it came out. Again, singular ship. Uh, anyway, moving onwards. We've got an item upgrade weekend, so now's the time to use those Omega tech upgrades that you've been crafting. And if you haven't been crafting them, dude, where have you been? Working. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry, I didn't mean to throw you. <laughs> no, I, I'm just looking at the dates and all I see here is numbers. Damn, I'm so discalculate. That's because someone put them in with the American dates because they put things back to front with the month first. Guess who that person that did that was? I know. Son, I'm not sure, but I think we've been insulted. What was that? I wasn't paying attention at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next week is going to be all in British, so you guys can suffer. <laughs> Speaking of next week, next week is Bonus Marks Weekend. That runs from the 16th until the 20th. And then the week after that is another item upgrade weekend. So if you miss this one, or if you're just trying to get more Omega upgrades together, then is the time to do it. And that runs at the same time as the bonus XP weekend and the start of the Breach special event, which we discussed last week. Still don't have any updated information on the reward for that yet. I believe that me and Timberwolf said last week that it's, at the moment, just a placeholder. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I really don't think calendar is going to be updated as far as what the reward is until the blog comes out for it. They don't want to, you know, give you that tidbit before the blog comes out and they describe what the new reward is. Either that or they've just done a copy and paste in their copy and paste factory. This is entirely true. Oh god, not this again. That's alright, I'm going to totally gloss over that subject and move on to console you with some Thank console you. news. Thank you. You're not hitting me with the newspaper for my bad puns. I'm the queen of memes, so yeah, no, go ahead. Okay, so this weekend on console, we have a Dilithium bonus weekend running until the 13th. So get on down to the Dilithium mine for, 
I think it's a 100% bonus of stuff from the mine, as well as a 50% bonus from general rewards and other content throughout the game. The every lockbox drop event is in progress, so if you grind out that dilithium, convert to Zen and buy keys. And also, if you want to spend real money on the keys, there's a key sale running, but I'm not sure if the console has the same bonus on buying Zen, because in the blog, states that it's for PC captains. So as well as that, on the 14th, the Agents of Yesterday new season content will all drop, along with an anniversary event, a stack of new queues, new reputations, and Battlezone. Does anybody find it, I don't know, maybe ironic that Agents of Yesterday for console drops on Valentine's Day, so now we've just made for sure that a whole bunch of gamers will in fact be alone on Valentine's Day. Does that seem like cruel irony that they would do that? I think it makes I good marketing sense. I honestly, I honestly <laughs> You don't have a date, point. so here, play STO. <laughs> dump your spouse, dump your spouse, dump your spouse. <laughs> but then the last time I went out on a date was nearly twenty years ago. It's because <laughs> you're married. <laughs> So, That's I'm not really a lie. One. You had a movie date with a with a with a film named Beyond. In <laughs> fact, you had several movie dates with the film. You cheating bastard! I have a movie date every week. I've got a little pass for our local cinema. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, is that all of the events now, Stu? That is the event calendar. Moving on to main Star Trek Online BC news. So science ships anybody? Not Michael just David science ships. Science ships. Nobody but. wants them. <laughs> oh god. I just felt a great disturbance in the force. There's that's not even in our universe right now. There's fleets and fleets and fleets of these science ships and like some of them even have quantum singularities in the middle of a great big gaping hole in the middle of them. It's like the space donut ships. See, I, look, I, I, I had that exact question. Okay, I get, I get that there was this, this kind of meeting of minds between Vulcans and Romulans. But did somebody have to? Did somebody at Cryptic have to design a kit bash, which they wholly throw up their hands and say we hate kit bashes between the Vulcan Dakir? And the Romulan Tiracel shuttle, which is the not even the normal shuttle that you get. It is the itty-bitty kind of Type 8 variant of the Romulan shuttle. It's literally a kit bash of the Dakir with the, the Alcubaire drive thing, the, the ring, and the Tiracel shuttle. And one of them, if I looked at it correctly, one of them actually has the hull color as the Dakir. It's like, one, where the hell is engineering on this ship? Because that drive kind of would make, you know, that drive would take the place of your warp core, or your not your warp core, your uh, your uh, singularity core. It would be a warp core. So is this a multi-mission ship that has no uh, singularity core for the Romulans? That needs to be actually kind of physically connected to the ship, as seen in the mission. The mission. Uh, takedown, 
where the Vaudoir guy gets, like, you throw him down the hole, and, uh, like, he's hanging about outside the singularity that you can, you can walk around it and you see it's connected to the ship. I mean, I understand the, I understand needing a containment field around a singularity core inside an engineering section. My problem is, that's where the core would be in the ship. And it's exposed to space. Like, space, space. Yeah, but then, so's the, um, the Diradex. That's basically got one big hole in the center of it. But that's, but that's between, that's between the neck and the hull of it. Not the, that, not where the warp core is. Like, if you were building a ship, would you build your engine with a huge gaping hole exposed to space? If and I want to do that, little spacewalks while not I only walk, that, yeah. If your warp core was a miniature black hole contained in a singularity unit, like it is, wouldn't it have an even greater chance of having a cascade failure being exposed to space? I mean, wouldn't your ship kind of blow up a lot faster if there was any sort of failure with that containment? If it's right there and exposed to space? Oh, you and your logic. I mean, especially in Star Trek Online, where you, you can't even move without getting into combat these days. I know, right? You get a, you get a flu from Ryza, and you're already in combat with the Tholians. It's pretty bad. Is with the Federation warp cores, we know that they run through the ship top to bottom. Um, but when it comes to the singularity cores, I don't think we ever saw how big and how many decks those took up. So we don't you, actually know. Have you, been, have you been on the engineering section of a Romulan warbird? It's yeah, but all, pretty massive. It's pretty massive. It's a couple of decks. Yeah, but all I'm saying is to have something like that may not be as critical as what you would expect for where a warp core would be compared to where the singularity core would be. Because they could still have. You've still got a few decks right at the end because there's that sort of lip um, at that's sort of near the top. Because if you have a look at the top, it's not a full circle, is it? What we're saying here is that we've got a black hole inside a container that keeps it from exploding badly. And you put that container exposed to space and exposed to whatever you want to throw into it. Space dust, particles, asteroids, photon torpedoes. And um, I think you're just asking to have that thing implode and pull your ship inside it. And um, good night. I would rather have my Singularity Core hidden underneath 40 million tons of armor plate. But that's just me. But though I'm still not sure on all the designs, I do like that they've gone back more to things being connected more to the lore. Um it's like most of these ships. Uh, to begin with, I'm not always too sure on the design. Um, these, when I see the look of the Federation one um, from the top, the third image down, on the sort of designing the Tier Six multi-mission explorers, um, it reminds me a bit of um, the look and feel of um, oh, what was the ship, the Quantum Slipstream. Um, Dauntless. 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 
It reminds me a little bit of that. Um, well, hey, there's uh, one. There's one design in there. I believe it's the science heavy, the brigade, the brigade. Um, and it looks like it has a little multi-mission pod above it, kind of like the Nebula class would have. And looking at that particular design, it reminds me of a fan-made design from 2001, 2002, called the Ronin. And the Ronin class was a heavy destroyer cruiser class. And now it's been made into this massive science vessel, which is kind of cool. But that's what well, that one have reminds that, me it of. It does have that Thunderchild kind of escort feel in the yeah. announcement blog. But, um, yeah, they're, de- they're definitely interesting ships, um, design-wise. Um, so Everybody seems to be calling the Gorn ships the Galactica. Can you blame them? I do see that now. I, To be honest, although I'm a big fan of Battlestar Galactica, I never actually connected the two. Well, that's but, because yes, me neither, the, not until you mentioned it. It's, that's because the 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 little pylon things off to the side are at an angle and not you know vertical like with the Galactica. So it kind of threw it throws most people off until they see it. Mm, are these no. ships symmetrical? Yes, for the mm. most part. But yeah, having a look at um, one of the other blogs where it talks about the exotic particle shielding as the starship trait, I can see on that one, if I'd seen that one first, um, then yeah, I would have thought Battlestar Galactica more um, straight away. Yeah, I do like those darker colours than the sort of the, especially on the Federation ones, rather than the very bright grey-white. So, um... Timberwolf, did you want to go into a little bit about the traits and the stats? Um, I don't have it up right now. Jeez, you talk about being unprepared. Um, <laughs> dead gummit. Hold on. Actually, uh, while this is while this is going on, Alex brings up a good point in the chat. We have a new entire flavor of the month thing in the temporal specialization yet we have yet to have a event ship with this thing because the lakari thing isn't temporal it's intel um hmm. and the oh. christmas ship was just a new version of the chelgret and uh, i don't think i don't think it had a specialization seat at all but the shell the the chelgret the the bolag yeah, it had Intel. Originally, they had said that it was going to have temporal operative, and then when it came out, it had Intel on it, so they simply changed the blog. So it's got Intel seating. So we're still two ships into having a new expansion with a whole new flavor of the month thing, and if you didn't buy the super mega awesome happy fun time Agents of Yesterday bundle, you have zero ships... With the ability to put those bridge officers, specialization, whatever the hell's into. Yeah, and I would have. It would have been nice to have the Lakari ship having that because it's triangle shaped, UFO shaped, and we could have went, oh yeah, went back in time to look at Earth. Haha. <laughs> hmm. Well, maybe another ship. But I, I do wonder if 
I don't know, maybe it's got something to do with, because when some of this stuff first came out, didn't that sort of come in around the time of the um, Temporal Dreadnought, the Wells one? Look, like I said, you know, the the Wells, well, the Wells naturally doesn't have any seating like that, because it was way before specializations, period. But the variants that they made, the 31st century variants, and then the... The other ships that they made that are the step-ups from the uh, 23rd century ships that they made for the bundle, they they all have, like, supposedly they all have temporal seating. And even this new lockbox that has just come out with these old ships that we all said we wanted to fly, like the Kitbash, the Deradex, slash Talist thing, doesn't have a temporal seat in it. Hmm. Yeah. D9 doesn't have a temporal seat in it. The uh, the Atlas class doesn't have a temporal seat in it. The NX refit, I don't think, has a temporal seat in it. I mean, it would make sense if it did, considering that there is the ship with all the time travely crap. But no, we, we I, I've yet to see another ship out of outside of the super awesome mega happy fun time agents of yesterday bundle that has temporal seating. I'm just going back through some of the old blogs and one of the Q&As is what ship seats will allow the use of temporal um, operative abilities in space. In order to utilize the temporal operative space abilities, you must be flying a starship that is a hybrid temporal operative grid officer seat. They are not usable in universal profession seats or existing specialist bridge officer seats. Many of these starships that will have these new will already be announced as part of the Temporal Agent bundle, and we will have not yet released those stats. Keep your eyes out on our website for those announcements. So what ships came with the Temporal Agent bundle? The three 23rd century, the three step-ups, like the 29th century, like the, the, the Enterprise J variants, and then the three... Uh, Multi-faction ones from the 31st century. Yeah, and then there was the three variants of the the. I think there was three more too. I think it was twelve Federation ships, well, nine Federation ships, and three cross faction ships in all. In the there bundle. were ships for the lower levels. There was tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, and tier five ships. But I don't think they had temporal seats on them. No, they didn't. The only ones that had the temporal seating was the tier six. Variants of the traveling ships. Yeah, I'm just having a look at the Chronos Temporal Dreadnought Cruiser. Yeah, that's the 31st century. They had those yeah. on there. It was just yeah. the they released the Daedalus class, which was a tier two. It didn't have it. Then they had the Perseus at tier three, the Sagittarius at tier four, and then the tier five one escapes me. But the those those four didn't have any specialist seating. They didn't start that until they did the 26th and 31st century starships. Yeah, they did come with the the temporal beam ability thing. Though. And then um, the promo starship, which was our D7 and our Constitution class from the original series, those had temporal seating and the um, molecular beam as well. Yeah. According to Alex Wonder in the chat, Stowe Wiki says the NX refit also gets a um, temporal operative seating as well. So there are ships out there that have them. 
I just I think it goes with the fact that they were talking about how with season twelve they're trying to get away from time travel for the time being, and maybe they only want to have temporal seating come out on starships during events that we have time travel actively in the timeline. And that's a guess. It would make sense, but that's a guess that I'm going on, is we won't see more starships come out with temporal operative seating until we start delving back and forth in the timeline again. Which right yeah. now we're not you supposed to be. You mean by the be. end of this arc? Yes, because right now all we're dealing with is the Lucari and the Zinkethi in the current 2409, 20, 2410 era. So there's no need for temporal abilities and powers right now if we're just staying in the same timeline. Until we have the mission where we actually go back in time because Lucari, Kentari, whatever the hell. Yeah. And, and that's that's my theory, is once it becomes relevant to do time travel again in the story, that's when we'll have temporal operative seating again. And then maybe by that point, they'll be trying to introduce another specialization but yeah i can see why they maybe wouldn't put temporal operative seating on when we're sort of moving away from that season because it almost looks like you're going back to old content but um yeah it might be good if so for some of the old tier five views and tier six ships that are related to time travel that maybe they do have a change in one of their seats to actually become some sort of hybrid seat so it can allow. I mean, the thing is now they've opened the door for a lot of starships to come out since they're, they're bringing back these 22nd, 23rd starships. So, I mean, if, if they wanted to open a door to where we could have the other two main 22nd century starships that we saw from enterprise, I mean, now they've made, the NX, in a way, an in-game starship, we could see the other two as well. And, you know, they're opening the door for things like, oh, I don't know, Tier 6 Miranda variant. I mean, they've they've done everything they can to even bring old Tier 1s to that Tier 6 level. But that, no, no, the Klingons can't have a fixed-wing bird of prey called the Kavort class that's a battlecruiser, because that's silly. Exactly, Meanwhile, we don't want that shit. they make a ship. tier 6 variant of the Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like I said, I'm guessing here, but it makes sense with them constantly making... This is now the um, second time they've made a tier 1 into a tier 6. So it would make sense to me now that they'd basically just take the starter ships that we all use for our faction, and now that's going to be a tier 6 starship. Meanwhile, because the why not? can't have the Jaeger class could... Because kit bashers are stupid, yet here are the Romulans with the Dakir Tiracel shuttle hybrid. And see, I like the Jaeger, even though it was very just, weird. I, I, look, I wasn't knocking it. I'm just saying, like, the people at Cryptic have said, the Jaeger is stupid. And, and, and kit bashers are stupid. And then they made this monstrosity. I, I, granted, it's a cool thing. It still looks like somebody took the Dakir took the little donut thing off well, of the Dakir and shoved it into a souped-up, mega-huge version of the Tiracel shuttle. I mean, if they're going to say kit bashing is stupid, then they, you know, you put one in with the Centaur, because the Centaur class was a kit-bashed model they put together for one episode. 
one or two episodes in DS9s. So that's, you know, a kit-bashed Excelsior uh, saucer section in nacelles with a Miranda-class torpedo pod slung underneath it. It's like, you already yeah. got one in there. You might as well go out with some of the other weird ones. Like I think the lore on that was something along the lines of, oh shit, we need a ship right now. What have we got? Uh, we've got some chewing gum, sticky pack plastic, and these bits of ships. Yeah. Boom. Because that, that was the whole go thing. It only, showed up, it only showed up in like one or two episodes. Um, yeah. One of which Cisco was using the Jimadar fighter, and he had actually fire yeah. on it. But it's like, that's a kit bash. That was admitted as one of the kit bashes used for that series. Yes. Yeah. And we, could use it like as a, the, we can use it as a tier one in this game. The, the captain of it was some kind of like... The, the ultimate maverick captain who just came up with the idea to make the ship out of the depths of his mind with what he had to hand. Yeah. Alex says in chat, I don't remember them calling those ships stupid, but they did say they didn't think that the kit bashes like the um, Niagara Freedom and so on would sell. And the thing is, it's yeah. also different people are now working in different departments because they're, cha- they're as we've seen with um, like the live stream that um, Cryptic did um, a few weeks ago, that people have been moved around and you've got people um, with new job titles. So different people are looking after different areas now. So with that comes different ideas. Uh, quite honestly, I would buy the uh, not the Niagara, that three nacelle starship that we saw the hulk from in best of both worlds i'd buy that one that one actually looks pretty cool it's like they souped up a ambassador class and i think what was one of the classifications behind the scenes it was like a fast dreadnought almost like i'd buy that now some of the other ones were just weird um and they've put those in the cheyenne class that was a thrown together kit bash of sorts that's a tier three right now in sto and that one to me i do not like how it looks to me it's the heavy cruisers great yeah. for uh great for mine laying uh patterns actually oh i just if it's if it was okay for a tv show it should be okay for a game like they they felt it was okay to put on the big screen even if it was a burning hulk no, wait, you said you said there is a version of the Miranda in game right now that has Excelsior nacelles? One of the skin variants for the Miranda is actually the Centaur. You can either Okay. And that was only seen in like one episode. There's yeah, literally for, more for screen there's literally more screen presence of the Jaeger class than that. I know. I'm just saying, like you're, you know, you got the Jaeger and the Centaur. The Centaur was only in, I guess, I remember one, and I remember seeing the Jaeger in at least two or three. But if we can have the Centaur, let's have the Jaeger. Hell, I know someone wants to fly the Shelly class, the troop transport. There are people that legitimately fly the freaking Tuffly in SDFs. Oh, I know that. One of my characters they, has got the Tuffly, and they still, and they're one of those meta gaming people too so they're still putting out like weird weirdly high damage just with the one weapon array Mm -hmm. Um, i haven't actually got weapons on my tuffle i don't think still flying around it's usually just my ferengi though so haven't played him for a while (laughs) i just think with some of them they're waiting 
they're waiting to see who's going to stand up and, and shout for it. Like, I want the Jaeger, or I want this kit bash ship. Because they said, what, what was the, the, the catchiest of all phrases they had for the longest time? Science ships don't sell. And over the past no, just year wait, and a half... just wait. After, the, after this half of the year is over, all of that stuff that just happened for the previous half of the year will magically disappear from everybody's memory at Cryptic, and they will go right back to that line. Well, I'm just saying, for the past year and a half, you had the player base asking, science ships, we need science ships. Well, we can't make them because they don't sell. Well, now, year and a half, and we've not only had science ships on sale, and new ones in the C-Store, and lockboxes, two of them have been giveaways when it comes to events. I mean, we got the, the Krenim and the Lucari. So, well, so I, I think, honestly, we could have a kit bash. You could well, end up with a Jaeger as a as a summer event ship. Now, see, here's the weird cool. thing. They still kept towing that line, while at the same time they had the Krenim Dreadnought thing, which is a science ship, and that sold tons of R&D crap. Oh, yeah. So I just, nobody I think what, at Cryptic can stand up and say, up and down, science ships don't sell. That ship sold. It was science. It might be a marketing ploy, like, oh, it, it doesn't sell, just to see if they can go to the player base to buy it. And they've been buying it. Well, honestly, Marketing tactics. Well, the thing with anything, people will... They've tried doing science bef um, ships. They don't sell. So they don't make them. People say they want them. So they released different types of ships in different promotions, different events, um, things like that. So now they can have a look and actually have a look at their metrics and to find out exactly if any of those ships do sell. But if they don't, I very much doubt we're going to see much more in the way of science ships coming again. Well, they've actually released them in quite a bit. I mean, the... The event ships have done well when it comes to just people claiming them. I mean, everybody still swears by the Krenum Science Vessel because of its starship trait and console alone. Um, people still swear by the Anorax, even though that's a hard ship to get nowadays. And with the Lucari ship coming out, people are actually starting to really enjoy that one as well. And I think, what was it, the, the Vest has actually been one that a lot of the people have been wanting. Ever since they started doing T6, like, we want Vest the Vesta, we want the Vesta. Which, which you know, both explains why they did it, but uh, again, it was, it was a way for them to finally give the, you know, give the Romulans a more wholly science-focused ship other than the one that they just released. Because, I mean, you have all these Romulan players who are on Federation who are like, I can't get these Federation science ships because I'm a Romulan and I'm restricted to Romulan vessels for tier six and five. Meanwhile, the KDF are over here going, we finally have a Klingon science ship and now we have tier six Gorn ships. And not only do we have tier six Gorn ships, they're science ships and they're flight deck cruisers and we finally have our first freaking shuttle pet that has the tractor beam ability, but it's locked behind a paywall. Oh, on the subject of walls, the sets for the tier six ships is one of the set pieces locked on board the Lakari ship. 
No. No. Okay. No, the cool. um the Proto Matter console is a standalone this time. They've just got it where um let's see here. Oh no, never mind. They've got it in here in the blog. It doesn't state it on the Lucari console that it's part of a set. Apparently all it does for the four pieces is it just increases the abilities. So the four piece is just like a boost. Yeah, it's just like it increases the damage output or it increases the the time or the regeneration. Yep, see, what is what is the console's stats itself? Is the the set aside, what are the stats for the console itself? Is the console something people need to have or want to have or should have? Well, which one? The Lucari? Because if yeah. we're talking about Lucari, I would say yes. The Lucari uh, science console, to me, if you don't have access to the Kobali console from two years ago, you get this one because it can replace that Kobali console. It's that strong of a healing console that you want to get this if you don't have the one from the Samsar. Because then, the then there's your then then there's your point. You have to have the Lucari ship to get this stuff. No, I'm just saying for an event ship. I you know this is another event ship you want to get, especially if you're lacking in healing. I mean, it's giving you plus twenty to hull and shield restoration. And then based off of your skill tree, it boosts your passive regen by a certain percentage. I believe on one of my ships that I was testing out on my Klingon, it was boosting hull regeneration by 385% and shield regen by 414%. And it's, it's a strong enough player-based AoE heal that not only will it heal yourself up, I mean, I could heal everybody up from zero to a hundred percent in just a few seconds. I could heal up an NPC starbase in a few seconds. Yeah, it seems like they're going to debuff that. Well, I hope not, because they actually made a good console that doesn't have to always be about damage. That's why I hope they don't nerf it. It's actually a console that doesn't do damage, it just keeps you alive. Yeah, I understand. But you used the magical phrase, NPC station, healed completely. Well, I'm using from Zenkathy Front. The one I haven't tested it on is Days of Doom, because in Days of Doom, they made for you sure that you couldn't you heal it. Yeah, you, you can't heal that station. So what I'm thinking is, is that they want to make Zen, uh, the Zenkathy Front the same way. They'll just make it where you can't heal the station. Here's a question. Have you tried it in the fleet alert thing? The big 20-man fleet alert. Or does that not exist in the queue anymore? Um, I tried it in the Federation fleet alert, which is a five-man, and it right. does work on that station. Granted, I, I mean, you have high enough damage output on the team, and typically the NPCs don't even there was hit the station. There was a 20-man like, invasion one at one point. And the station would take damage. Uh, damage it's not the one where you need to follow the freighters. Yeah, it's Federation, was it? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's that Starbase Blockade? Starbase Blockade's five-man. I don't see the 20-man anymore. Because then they turned it into a shuttle mission. Or no, no, they turned the... They there turned it is, Starbase Fleet a... dis Defense, and it's a 20-man. Yeah. I, I haven't got a chance to try it in there yet. But I'm you just... can't get 20 people together to run it. Yeah. I'm just thinking if it comes down to it and they don't want you to heal stations with the console, they'll just do, they'll copy and paste the code from Days of Doom. You just make it where you can't 
heal the station or heal NPCs in general. Well, the the, the point of the point of the Zenkethi front is keeping the station from reaching zero anyway. Yeah. You can't uh, for for a whole bunch of people, yeah, it's really easy to keep the 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 Zenkethi at bay, but that's because those people are putting out insane amounts of damage. You know, if somebody is staying back with high enough damage to keep those those ships occupied, and the station itself is actually putting out its own decent damage, but the station is still taking damage, and the fewer people that are, you know, able to push back the Zenkethi from reaching that station, the more that station is going to take damage. So it has to be healed to meet that optional. Yeah, I'm just thinking from a player usage if you're trying to heal other players it's a good console now if they change its interactivity with npcs that's entirely on them i just don't i'm hoping they don't mess with its interactivity with other players i'm just i'm 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 imagining the possibilities of it with the um with the various carrier pet traits that i have for my uh, orion ship because I have the Scramble Fighters, which is the um, the five-second immunity and damage boost, but it's mm-hmm. also kind of this big heal. Uh, I also have slotted one of the Breen Carrier Pet traits, which is a when you heal or when one pet takes healing, they all share a portion of that healing, like a third of the healing. So yeah, the whole splat, them- it splashes off the pets. Then the pl- right. the pets splash at other targets, yeah. And so 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 you know when I do scramble fighters, the healing kind of stacks on them. Not only do they get the big boost from the scramble fighter straight, then they get the splash healing from each other. Adding this console, if even one of them flies in the AOE field, they're all going to kind of constantly be immortal, which I think is going to be a good thing to have on a tier six. Orion full carrier. Are you listening, Cryptic? Yep. Also a tier yep. six. Yeah, they listened. You said more Federation ships. Tier six <laughs> Klingon fixed wing battle cruiser bird of prey called Cavort. So, going back to my original question, Timberwolf, are you able to tell us about the? Traits and the stats for the new ships. <laughs> oh, you! There was an original question. Oh, completely forgot. The question hidden in plain sight. Okay. Doctor Who. Well, when it comes to the consoles, I don't have numbers because I don't own the starships yet. As far as like their what the passive numbers are on the consoles, kind of deal. Uh, but they were talking about the engineering variants, which. For reference, the engineering fed ship was the, what did they call that? The Esquilin. Those had an omnidirectional tachyon wave siphon. So it's talking about how when you pop this, it's going to throw out a bubble and siphon away um, nearby shields. And then draw it into your own as a form of secondary shielding. So it was kind of a way of giving you a second shield to help protect yourself while draining shields from other targets. Um, and like I said, I don't have the numbers, but it's giving you a passive on drain expertise and shield restoration. So the passives go very well with what you're trying to do with the console anyway. 
when it comes to the science variants, which this is probably the first one I'm going to get anyway, the Brigand, Brigand, yeah, they come with an isometric dispersal array, which is basically a giant energy cannon, like electrical energy cannon. Uh, looks like it's got a chain effect similar to the refracting te- Tetrion beam. Uh, isometric charge. Isometric charge, yeah. So it's bouncing off, releasing additional damage over time. And what I like about this console is the passive is directed energy damage and crit severity, just to your base stats. So you've basically got a variation of isometric charge that has additional passive stats you didn't have before. And if I equip this with the isometric charge, I've got a lot of lightning coming off of my starship. And I like that. And then the tactical variants were coming with a radiation bombardment, because apparently radiation is in nowadays. A lot of stuff that does radiation damage. Um, Hold on, someone's trading me something in the game. A A lot of radiation procs can't be cleansed. Yeah. And it's basically a multi pulse. So it's bombarding all the targets in the air, the firing arc with radiation damage with each pulse. They're getting a flight speed turn rate and damage resistance debuff while they remain in the arc. And then if they stay in the arc for the final duration, then they get heavy radiation damage that scales with each target that's hit and then a short debuff on speed turn rate and resistances to last after it's done okay so you just fly in when you've got a group of targets and you fire this thing off with all of your other science aoe and it, you help nuke down things okay okay i just came up with the elitist line for this specific console in pvp yeah, I'm chemotherapying your ship because your build is cancer. Pretty much. I mean, all I see with this is it's another console to stack with all the other consoles that are doing the same thing. I mean, if you stack this with that disruption console from the D9, it's because the D9 does the same thing. It disables your target, it's debuffing them, and it's doing a uh, physical damage hit, then you do the Delphic Tear, which is a debuff and radiation damage, scaled apart gens. You just stack a whole bunch of these consoles together, and they all happen to be grav-weld. I mean, you're just... You could probably get to the point now this just adds to a no-weapon science ship, where you're just using activatables from consoles and science bridge officer abilities, and you can just go through the content without a single weapon equipped on your starship. And this particular console has a particle gen skill and turn rate passive. So yeah, looking at these, they might all definitely have their uses. I want the isometric one. As far as set bonuses, the two-piece is giving us maximum shield hit points and aux power, which is not bad. That's going to help you when it comes to your exotic damage output, since it's based off of auxiliary power. And, you know, extra shield hit points are always good. As far as your three-piece, it's just recharge time reduction. Typically on these things, it's a 50% reduction. So if it's got a two-minute cooldown with the three-piece set, now you've got a one-minute cooldown. 
And then, like we were saying earlier, the four piece is just increasing what each console can do, whether it be a damage increase or a region increase. So there's that. As far as starship traits, the engineering variants are coming with exotic particle shielding. So if you're using this trait while you have engineering team, science team, or tactical team, it's providing a boost to all damage resistance. And then affected targets will also gain an equal amount of damage resistance rating to all exotic damage abilities. So it's basically just making for sure that you stack on extra resistance while you're basically doing a heal or with tactical team you're boosting your weapon output and rebalancing your shields to protect yourself. Which is an added protection trait. For your science variants, an ability that I don't honestly see used that often gets a trait. Charge particle burst! It's not something I see people use. So when you're using charge particle burst, it does a secondary less potent version to each target hit by the ability causing a chain reaction. This so, is basically the this is basically the uh, uh, Zindi Aquatic uh, ability just as yeah. a charge particle burst. Yeah, more or less. I mean, you're just doing a chain reaction of the ability. Um, so it could be good. could be terrible. I don't know. CPB is a knockback, though, isn't it? No. Oh, no, that's Photonic Shockwave. Yeah. Okay. Which... I get those two confused all the time. You would think the charged particle burst would be the, the, the knockback one. Because it's, you know, physical. Like... Heavily physical. It's a charged particle. Yeah, and all charged particle does standard is it's it knocks down target shields, it debuffs their hardness, their resistance levels, and, and it'll disable yeah, disables cloaking systems. So to add to that where you could chain reaction this to multiple targets could be a good thing. It's worth testing. The last one is weird, because we had to have another one that does a mind-laying ability. Tactical Variant does, whenever you do a beam or a cannon um, enhancement, beam overload, beam fire at will, cannon rapid fire, they have cannon rapid fire listed twice, typo, so probably rapid fire and scatter volley, or any subsystem targeting Apparently, you get to launch this gigantic tachyon mine behind your ship. And then, when it does its impact or explodes, it's not going to harm you, but it's going to do a whole lot of extra kinetic damage and then leaves behind this tachyon particle field that'll damage shields. So, am I the only one seeing a supermassive Herogen build here? Kinda. Because you, you put the, the Herogen one on that's got, like, all the tethered binds behind it. Then you have the Harasser mines from the What's-Its-Face escort Oregon. from Risa. And now you've got this huge, massive Tachyon mine. Well, the... You're... What, what are you, the Hero... Are you Herogen or Earthlings who just finished a wedding? Because it's um, the Vorgon one had mines. If you're firing, if you're doing fire at will and other abilities, it, it had a chroniton mine that uh, you had activated on it. And then you add on the Tholian mines, so you have web mines as well. The, so, yeah, the, the harasser mines are seeker though, aren't they? Yeah, you had the console, but then you had the starship trait with the Vorgon that 
when you hit a target with fire at will, it would spawn this chronoton mine to hit the target as well. See, there's a reason I went after that ship for <laughs> the the thing. That's 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 going to eventually wind up on my um my Riemann science officer, who's also KDF, but is using the Dyson science destroyer. Yeah. Because she's using a Tetrion build. And because it's a Tetrion build, guess what's not there? Tetrions. N- no. <laughs> Timberwolf, you know what Tetrion weapons do. What's not there? A Tetrion weapons do shield drain. So what's not there? I don't know. I'm tired. What's there? <laughs> Tet- what's not there? She's got a Tetrion build, so what's not there on the enemy ships is shields. So you have a whole bunch of mines coming out your ass, and guess what? Oh, the God. enemy's dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got plenty of mine abilities. Quite, on- quite honestly, out of all of this, like I said, I like the, the science versions console. I can see the tactical version console just being stacked onto a science build. Um, the traits? I don't know. We're just going to have to see what they can do. Quite honestly. Um, I can see exotic particle shielding stacking with that Romulan Dreadnought console, which is more secondary shielding. And its trait, which is even more secondary shielding. So I mean, you could just have this massive amount of secondary shielding and damage resistance on top of your standard shields and your standard resistance. Again, this is what the this is what the tactical trade is for. I am nuking your hull because your ship build is cancer. <laughs> the other interesting thing about all of this is the Klingons technically got new hangar pets. Everybody else has got hangar pets they've already had. I've mentioned this. We have Gorn heavy fighters, and they're similar to runabouts. Um, so if you do get the Gorn ships, you do get these little tiny, they're pictured in the blog for it, and they're interesting looking. I mean, it just looks like it's got two nacelles and this giant disruptor cannon in the front of it. Again. Which is like a flying cannon. This is the first time the KDF has runabouts, like uh, carrier pets with the tractor beam ability. Well, it's not just that, I mean... I like like the elite ones. Disruptor Beam Array, Chronoton Torpedoes, Tractor Beam 1 and Torpedo Spread 2. Yeah, uh, yeah, but see, that's, that's the thing. Tractor Beam. It holds the target. So if you're a big KDF player and you wanted this particular ship or you've been waiting for the KDF variant of Avesta, now you've got new pets. You've got your own runabouts. It holds the target in place. Guess what you can then launch? More hold abilities, or you can launch drain abilities like Titan's Rift. All in all, though, these these ships, I can see a lot of people getting these, because you don't have to build them like science ships. You can, but with their console layouts and bridge officer seating, I mean, quite honestly, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm probably going to get the science one in the long run, the science variant. I could build it like a standard cruiser. And just use, even though I've only got six weapon ports, three four and three aft, I could broadside with it like a normal cruiser. This is why, this is why these ships, when they were the tier five Vestas, were referred to as flight deck 
cruisers. Mm-hmm. Because that's I have exactly a, what they are. I mean, I'm just missing two weapon ports, but I, with the bridge officer seating that they've got, I could broadside with them. I could do heavy forward firing and science. I mean, it's they've been well laid out, so they don't have to play one role. They can do multiple. So I see them flying off the shelves like hotcakes. Well, if you want more science ships, then get buying. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters is what sells. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, we are on week three for rewards of, of signs and portents. So, getting game between, well, now, whenever it is that you're listening to the show, and 10 a.m. on Thursday, the 16th of February. And I'll go ahead and say now, since week three, you're getting the Covariant Shield Array. At Ultra Rare, it gets a capacity mod. So, you're up, trying to upgrade that set and see what it can do at the high end. It's getting extra capacity on top of its high capacity that it already has. Hmm, cool. Okay, so, PC patch notes from the 8th of Feb. Um, for some strange reason, they did it at a different time um, with this patch so a different time and day um, obviously there's something they wanted to get out the door so oh you mean like the Zenithi battle zone issues yeah more than likely that's what I was thinking I've heard there are still some issues with the battle zone though they're I was just about to, to they're, say they're that going to, they're going to be issues with the battle zone yeah I mean, that's, there's, that's, there's, that's what I've been no hearing even, even after this in. patch they've been there's still been like oh there's the boss isn't spawning, or I'm not getting the any rewards. I've I've been still hearing that as of this morning, so I think they're gonna be working on that for a while. Okay, I still haven't been there yet. I only quickly went there yesterday. Um, had a quick play. Um, yeah, it was quite nice. Um, I was there basically on- the same really as what we saw in the other space battle zone but um they're just slightly different variations of what we saw um when the boss came yeah it's not it's not much different from especially if you play the more recent one which was the badlands it's just different variations of what we did which continues to raise the question why is it having issues and all these other just didn't like yeah the other battle zones had issues but not this level of issues well could be something to do with just something that's interacting with some of the items in it which are unique to that or it could be all sorts of things so you take out one bug and you create 10 more is i know a lot of people think okay it's just a matter of copying and pasting that code into there that doesn't really work because you've got so many things that need changing so many objects related to the map or to a species that was being used. It's never as simple as copy and paste, relocate a couple of items, uh, ta-da, all done. (laughs) Yeah, that that doesn't work. Yeah, but see, even then, at this point, they should know what the coding is for because it's the same stuff, again, just in a new space setting, unless they've updated their coding procedures. Well... (laughs) Maybe not even the procedures, but parts of the system could have been updated and others not. So, um, yeah, who knows why it's gone wrong? 
But I know as a developer that, yeah, when it comes to big systems like this, things are never as easy as people think it is. Actually, usually it's never as easy as the developers think it is to fix. So, but yeah, there's a lot of fixes in there um, for the Zincathy Battlezone, Zincathy Front, and a load of system um, updates as well. Now, I didn't see anything else that wasn't sort of those fixes that sort of jumped out at me. Is there anything else that you guys can see? They got that phaser in. That is true. They they finally added a whole bunch of ships to the Dilithium Reclaim store? Like, tier 6 lockbox ships? Oh. Like, you oh. couldn't reclaim the consoles for those ships? Oh, yeah, that's right. The, um... What was it? The Dominion Heavy Escort and the Cardassian Keldon. You couldn't claim those consoles. That was yeah, among the both, list. Both, both the Jim Hadar... Uh, Dreadnought and Heavy Escort Carrier, the Keldon, and both of the new Alachi ships did not have reclaim consoles in the Dill store. Also, apparently the Tholian Tarantula Special Torpedo wasn't in the store as well. Or there was an issue where having the Tarantula wouldn't let you reclaim the Torpedo. Oh, yeah, and that's a thing that happened. Um, they fixed the Lakari reputation? Yeah, um, a couple of weeks ago we'd reported that once you complete the first tier, you had access to all five messages. Um, they've now fixed it that only once you've completed each level that you can listen to the message. Having, having read all five of the logs, uh, I'm, I'm not surprised and yet disappointed at the same time. In the reputation, at least in the in the flavor lore of the reputation, because it it quite literally is what it says: the Lucari restoration reputation. Like all of these logs are about the Lucari going back and taking proto matter to undo all of the damage that the Zenkathi has ca have caused to these planets that they've proto matter bombed. And it's like I, I still something sits really uneasy with me on this. We should be treating the Lucari in the same way that the Vulcans treated Earth in Enterprise. Like, Wait, it's not even that! Not even that! It's even worse than that! It's even worse than that! Not only have we, have we brought the Lucari back into space, okay, that's cool, the Lucari have now gone off on their own initiative with protomatter crap and Genesis devised all these planets that have been protomatter destroyed. Which there was. Am I, the, a... am I the only? Am I the only one seeing this? This thing that's specifically been banned by the Federation is now being used to restore a whole bunch of planets. Now it's not specifically our Genesis device, but it is a form of the Genesis device because that's exactly what the Lucari are talking about doing. Yeah, we really need to like torpedo these guys into. Oblivion and tell them to like stop. I mean, it's, it was okay. I'm getting these logs at a console at Deep Space Nine, and nobody in the Federation is looking at this console and going, "They're using, they're using what? They're they're, they're Genesis devising all these plans. Aren't we supposed to not be okay with the Genesis device stuff? Because because Proto Matter, um." Does somebody 
does somebody higher up know about this? Why are and and why are we handing this information to a a, a KDF member on the uh, at Orion? <laughs> this this uh, this information is all kinds of conflicting to to the current state of our side of the galaxy. Get me I a mean, copy of the Kitama Records again, and just let me read the bit where it says proto matter is banned. Hmm. I mean, for Christ's sakes, at least the Kretum had the decency to make their genocide machine a starship, right? Something that could actually be destroyed at some point. And now we have all of these people in various races running around with proto-matter stuff. One destroying life, and then one genesis devising it all back. What the hell? And we are collecting it and giving it to them. And yeah, and not only yeah, not only that, we're collecting it from the people who are doing the bombing and giving it back to the people who are Genesis devising. And guaranteed, at some point, we'll have a mission reward where we get our own proto matter torpedoes and we can use them. Because <sighs> I just but see I that s- happening. I see that all of a sudden, you know, with. The last time we had something like retro-engineered like that, it was the Nausicaan torpedo. And it's like, we've retro-engineered their, their drain tech and all this, and now we have this disruptor torpedo. Something tells me we're going to get an energy torpedo that's a proto-matter energy torpedo. And yeah, it's going to be like, shut down all the power levels on a starship or something. But will you be using proto-matter weaponry on enemy starships? Like, I see that. I see that happening. To do what? To do what? Completely empty out all the all the inhabitants on that starship, so the Ferengi can steal them and then sell them to us in a new lockbox. Well, yeah, to, I to would like say rip, that. I rip would their say that. flesh off their bones and leave the only thing on board their ships just being the gold from their teeth, and we can just walk on board and take the ship. Well, see, I would agree. I would agree with that. Had they not gotten rid of the crew mechanic in STO. Because that would be the perfect thing for the crew, the you know crew mechanic. Like, oh, well, you want to kill kill the starship? Let's kill the crew first. Fire the torpedo. Well, not even that. Think about it. What what comes out? What will come out as a new big huge lockbox after this arc is over? And Kathy. Yeah. And what are we fighting with? I'm saying proto matter. It's gonna be a proto matter yeah, weaponry this somewhere. This is literally going to be the lore. Us fighting the the the, the Zinkethi at some point. The Lucari are going to use protomatter crap against the Zinkethi, and this is going to cause all of the Zinkethi on board those vessels to disappear. Mm-hmm. Which means the Ferengi will then swoop in, take those ships, shove them into a ship hanger box with some sort of temporal folding mechanic, because that's what lock boxes are. And then sell them back to us. Oh, you just destroyed this ship. Thank you. This will return tenfold on my investment, with keys being seven million EC plus a piece. Just watch. It's exactly what's going to happen. And even if they, it, you know, and even with them not creating a whole bunch of lore on this stuff anymore, this this is exactly the lore that's going to play out with the with the the Zinkethi box. Yeah, it'll probably be a, the console, a special proto-matter weapon console that heals allies but kills enemies kind of deal. Because there's been a lot of abilities now that are doing transference. I mean, even the new phasers are transferring damage resistance from the target to yourself. 
so I can see it transferring power and energy and I guess their weapons and their cargo and their replicators up to our ships. Okay. Well, it's like that Void episode of Voyager. You fall into the Void and suddenly everybody's raiding you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good thing there's not much talk about for the PC side of Star Trek Online. <laughs> PC? What's that? Okay. Time to switch over to the other platform. Star Trek Online Console News. Okay, these are messing with me, but that was awesome. <laughs> Get all professional up in here. Got us professional? I don't know about all this. I know. Well, we I've have been to, meaning we have to... to... Go on, son. We have to combat P1 some way, right? I didn't want to mention any other podcasts, <laughs> which may or may not be available. I didn't available. mention any other podcast. See, this is the part where you're supposed to go, oh! <laughs> oh no. Tribbles originally had bumpers. It's just when I took over, we had different sections and different things to talk about. And it's just like, yeah, well, I'll I'll redo what I want to do for the sections. And, well, redid them. Redid them again. And then redid them again. And now we sort of got the sections that we want. And I've redone the show notes. It's just like, right, really must do it. Really must do it. And about three months have gone past. It's just like, okay, really must do it now. <laughs> so, so basically what you've that's done That's why is you asked for help. Yeah. Proto-matter so, <laughs> genesis the show. So, to make life out of life. So yeah, after another podcast, um, went to... Um, Timmy D and said, Can I ask for help for something? <laughs> he said, Can you just do some bits for us? Um, just got a few bumpers and then sort of gave me a huge list of 18 things that I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, console news. So, Agents of Yesterday is released on Xbox One and PlayStation 4. So, yet another release. So, um, yeah, they're speeding up getting things caught up uh, as they were planning to do. So the official release is Tuesday, February 14th, as mentioned from things from the calendar. So um, you'll have the original series era captains. You'll have the K-13 fleet holding. You will get the classic starships and uniforms, which also include the temple agent packs that we talked about earlier on for pc news and you'll also get the featured episode echoes of light and don't forget how sony actually had some special artwork drawn up that nobody here seems to be able to have access to but we're seeing everywhere and it's pissing us off because we're like why wasn't that there for our launch so um as i said um when we were talking, that doesn't seem to be something that Cryptic have created. That seems to be something that uh, someone else has. But it's still very nice. Now, you're also going to have the Temporal Agent event rewards. So, for the first run of the featured episode, um, try to think what the reward is for that one. So, 
for this first week you build up the experience bar and then the week after you get an experience point boost so i'm guessing it'll be it depends on how many missions are completed will affect what the the boost is so it'll be a 25% boost if only a certain amount are completed or a 50% if the second tier is done or a 100% boost if the third tier is completed and people can help get things um get the task bars um up by doing first run missions so the more people who run the mission um the more you get um there's also new reputation systems being added so um you're going to get um where are we terran empire tholians and temporal and temporal yep. so as well as that we've got the cues that reward them as well so that will be what crystalline catastrophe or crystalline um was the other one yeah. um is it crystalline you've got crystalline catastrophe and what's the other one that well, comes crystalline out crystalline catastrophe can... was there from the beginning it was just made yeah. solely in um the all of the they're like what the, what the hell is that planet called or the Nukara. that yeah Nukara Prime. A, yeah all of those ground missions are part of the queuing system now interestingly yeah for uh for the reputation and in like the in-game queue so i would assume that it would be part of the their queue as well yeah it looks like they're just trying to consolidate a lot of it that's what that's what they did with the the new romulus missions when you were on the planet it used to be that you'd have to actually hunt them down and look for them and now they're their own mission arc and that might be what they're doing with nukara is Instead of you trying to go down to the planet, you can just queue up for it, and then you're directly there. They, um, it, they're the two queues for the Terran Empire, but doesn't this also mean that they're getting the Terran Battle uh, Zone as well? Yes, the Badlands Battle Zone is also listed in the releases for console. Okay. Now, we've had a question in chat um, from Gonastray09. Um, he said, I thought they said console anniversary was going to be separate from the PC. Uh, yes, it will be. And that this is not the anniversary stuff that's coming out. This is just um, updating it to Agents of Yesterday. Last um, year's expansion, essentially. Yeah. So the this stuff coming out to the console is not their anniversary stuff. That will be later on in the year. Okay. Um I've got an article here that is listed as anniversary on Xbox One and PlayStation. Beginning February 14th to March the 16th, captains will be able to enjoy the featured episode Echoes of Light. The Lucari yeah, recently that, that unveiled... Is, yeah, it is starting this week. Or it is starting on the 14th. Which is weird, because this is not an anniversary of console release. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, we're talking about the same people who for a month and better had that on the console calendar, they were getting the anniversary at the same time the PC players were up until the week before when they went, oops, uh, no, you're, um, you're not supposed to be getting this yet, and, mm -hmm. and it caused a massive stink, not in our forums, but just through the console community. Um, I think that might be in 
um, a misprint in the blog because if I recall correctly, didn't the um, consoles get released in say like September, October? Yeah. So yeah, it won't be the anniversary. Um, it's just the release of the new content. So, so um, so yeah, it, it's still going to be months uh, away. No, uh, this this entire blog is riddled with the word anniversary. Which yeah, blog is this? Among others, is a blog that is listed for the anniversary starship, which is, which is the Tier Six Crenum Science Vessel, which was last year's anniversary that's, ship. That's this blog. That's this yeah. specific blog. Yeah, which blog is it? It's, uh, anniversary on X One and PlayStation Four. Okay. There's a link in the Found show out. notes. Midnight. Yeah, no, no I just read the show notes, man. <laughs> my mouse just um, I pressed the center button and it scrolled all the way up to the top. Your mouse can't read. <laughs> I know. He keeps trying to. You need to stop giving it all that cheese. You're giving him ideas. <laughs> hmm. Well, it's very strange that, yeah, they're calling it anniversary. Unless, yeah, they're just getting confused because it's the anniversary for the PC and it's coming up to the release for... Um, no, read the read the so. second paragraph. We are also bringing the Omega Particle minigame to console. With the anniversary Q will, event. Q will task you stabilizing Omega Particles across the galaxy. Which, that just tells me, while they were originally planning them to be separate, because it would make sense for them to be separate, you know, separate launch days, what they are instead going to do is, probably for release deadlines and consolidation purposes they're going to release the content for both anniversaries around the exact same time maybe not same day but they're going to release it all all within the same time of year um so it's just you know console is maybe starts two weeks after pc anniversary but that way they can do all the anniversary stuff at the same time and all the summer event stuff at the same time, that kind of thing. It just makes it easier for a burst upload. Yeah, I do wonder, given the fact that how accelerated the updates have become for console, is whether they decided to scrap the idea of having the second um, anniversary date and keeping it as just Star Trek Online's anniversary so I wonder if that idea has been scrapped because it's just like suddenly, well, they're already up to last year's expansion already. So if they keep up with this rate, they're going to be on the new season um, in the next sort of two, three months, which is well before the first anniversary. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. I think they're just they're trying to consolidate it down to get A, for catch-up purposes, but B you know, might as well have it where, okay, well, we're doing all the anniversaries at once, so we can just burst everything out at once. Um, and what they could be doing, since they're trying to catch up with us, is they go ahead and get the Crenum Science Vessel, which was last year's anniversary event ship. They do that now, when the quote-unquote official one-year hits for console, which is this coming fall, that's when they can throw the Lucari ship out, and then by next year's PC anniversary, if they just are doing this for consolidation purposes, the anniversary event, now they're caught up. So 
now console and PC will have the same Starship release at the same time for that event. That's my that's my thought. Yeah, well, Gunnar Strays um, in chat said console will probably just have a special weekend or something in um, September. So, yeah. It, but yeah, it, I suppose that does make sense. But, uh, yeah, I suppose uh, try and see if we can ask them if there was a change in what they were planning. So, um, we've also got a blog for consoles regarding the Krenum Science Vessel stats. Of course, the link to that will be in our show notes. Um, Timber, did you just want to go through um, a little bit about that ship and what the console players can expect? Um, yeah, we saw this ship last year on PC, and you'll have to forgive me because right now I am killing a whole bunch of Jim Hadar. But um, we saw this last year, and if you're looking for a free science vessel... You're pretty much going to be good with this on console. The big reason that I'm going to say all you console players out there, you need this starship, is the trait and the console that comes with the starship. Um, That is the primary reasoning behind PC players wanting it right now, or are glad that they have it. And for those that don't, are waiting for it to hit the Phoenix box. Um, as far as the con- the uh, the console on it, it's a timeline stabilizer. It gives you a fifteen percent cooldown reduction on science abilities. So if you want, if you like to use multiple science abilities that don't share cooldowns, this helps all of them cool down a little bit faster. But also the activatable. It's a small AOE of three kilometers, but the whole purpose of it is it's going to increase your firing cycle haste depending on the number of targets it affects. It's going to recharge bridge officer abilities, but it's also going to debuff all of the affected targets. It increases their recharge times, reduces their impulse speed and turn rate, and the big reason behind... Well, one of the big reasons why everybody loves it is if you have control amplification in your skill tree, which control amplification, anything that applies a a placate or um, a confuse, things of those nature, it does a minus 35 all damage resistance debuff to a target. Because it's applying that kind of a debuff to your enemies affected, this console will also apply that debuff as well. So you're reducing their speed and turn rate, and you're giving them a minus 35 all damage resistance rating. This console is actually also good for the console players with the brand new, you are just now getting it, uh, um, Terran Task Force space gear. Because mm-hmm. the space gear for the Terran Task Force, and I don't remember if it's the weapons set or no, it's the it's the traits in the it's it's the traits in the reputation, the space traits. Every time you activate a 
science bridge officer ability, it reduces the cooldown on torpedo weapon system abilities. Every time you activate a torpedo weapon system ability, it reduces the science bridge officer abilities. Mm-hmm. So having that stacked on with this console further reduces the science bridge officer abilities, which will mean you're getting those faster uh you're getting those faster heals and shields and all that kind of stuff. And you're also getting faster torpedo usage. And one thing I will say, even though it's not confirmed, I will say this. When this particular starship came out, the Kratom Science Vessel, this was the exact same time we got our Tier 6 flagships. Because the, the science console is linked to that set from your Tier yep. 6 Odysseys, Scimitars, and Bordeskews. So if they're releasing that, there is a chance that they're going to release the flagships as well on console, just because it is part of a set that's already been established on PC. Um, so the console alone was worth getting this starship for, but they also, the, the starship trait that came with it, it improves feedback pulse, which if you're not familiar with that trait, what it's going to do for your build, let's say you love using feedback pulse in your build. It's giving you a feedback pulse damage boost, but whenever you're hit with energy weaponry while feedback pulse is active, it's giving you a stacking bonus to your crit chance and crit severity. And it's 1% crit chance for 15 seconds and 5% critical severity for 15 seconds, and that can stack 10 times. So if you're running a heavy threat build on console and you love feedback pulse, you're getting hit, you can get up to 10% extra critical chance and 50% critical severity for 15 seconds while you're getting hit with feedback pulse. It's just going to help you kill those Vodwar or Borg a lot quicker. Now you but, mentioned or Kazon. Now you mentioned crit chance and crit severity quite a lot there. For people who don't tend to do a lot in gaming and Star Trek Online, can you go into a little bit about what crit chance is and what crit severity is and what the difference is between them? All right, well, critical chance is if, you, if you're landing a critical hit, you're going to do extra damage because it's a critical hit. It's, it's almost like, okay, we scored a critical hit on their shields. We did extra damage to their shields kind of deal. So your critical chance is the chance you can land that extra damage hit. Your critical severity is how much damage that critical hit is going to do. So right now on my starship, I'm running at 14.4% unbuffed by anything critical hit chance. So I've got a 14.4% chance of any of my weapons landing a critical hit. My critical severity is 85.4%. So if I land a critical hit chance... Whatever that damage is done is increased by 85.4%. So let's say I hit with 10,000 hit points. Increase that by 85.4%. Now, is it always that 84%? That's unbuffed. That is unbuffed. Now, That's not counting in anything. Yeah. Like, if, if this improved feedback pulse, let's say you're stacking improved feedback pulse with this. You're getting hit, and you get the full... The full bonus from improved feedback pulse. My critical chance would go from 14.4 to 
to 24.4. My critical severity would go from 85.4 to 135.4. So I'd be able to land those critical hits more often, and they would be doing a hell of a lot more damage than what they were before. Um, With the crit severity, is it that the number... That crit severity, is that always the figure that you get with or without the buffs? Or is it up to that amount that you get? No, what it's doing is if for 85.4, that's a static boost. Anytime I have a critical hit, that's what it's doing. It's okay. adding in that extra. But it's also having to calculate in, okay, well, is there a debuff on damage resistance on the target? If so, we're increasing past that 85.4 because there's less resistance to the target or is there an extra damage boost on the weapon um so things like if you're doing attack pattern alpha it's not just a critical chance and critical severity boost you've got an all damage boost it takes into account as well on top of the severity so after it does its severity it's adding in okay well we've got even more damage to add on to this so let's go a little bit further beyond it now when you're doing builds what do you class as more important, critical chance or critical severity? Critical severity. Explain? Quite honestly, critical severity. Um, okay. We've been looking at budget builds, and I've I've got one this week, and I've got one for next week. I can have a build that has under 10% critical hit chance. It has less than a 1 in 10 chance to land a critical hit, and they're still doing well in the game. Because it still has that chance per weapon to activate. So it might be a 10% chance, but it's a 10% chance per weapon to land a critical hit. And we've seen that if, you, if you're a PC player, you know, we have our parsers. We have SCM, which is, uh, what was it, at Star Trek Online Combat Meter. We have CLR, which is the Combat Log Reader. They belong to two different um, DPS leagues. So not only are you mapping... Just by looking at what your stats are, what your critical chance and critical severity are, those average out your critical chance over the duration of a run. And typically that's a lot higher than what your static sitting bonus is. You can get a lot higher crit chance running down a three-minute run in Crystalline Catastrophe or Infected Space Advance because there's a lot of shots going off. And if it's 10% per shot that you have a chance to get a critical hit, it's going to happen more than 10% of the time. So I would always go for critical severity just to make for sure that each critical that does land hits as hard as it can. Um, After that, all damage bonuses. How, How much can I boost damage beyond critical severity? What can I boost that's beyond just the weapons? Do I have a gravity well that needs to be boosted? Do I have a feedback pulse? And is in the there... game, that mod is labeled as DMG, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah. And for console gamers, because of the way that this works, advanced fleet weapons are honestly your cheapest um, option if you're wanting to actually have a high damage output for your in-game build. Yeah, because there's a lot of fleet weapons that actually have damage times four as a mod, if I remember um, correctly. Yeah, it's been be- a while since I bought fleet weapons. The the best ones out there, if you're going for just you want to have a ship that's nuking a target, it's damage times three, critical severity one. 
So each weapon is going to have three damage modifiers, which Cryptic changed how those work last year. They now boost damage after everything is calculated. So after all of your damage bonuses have been calculated in, your attack pattern beta debuff is, is counted in, attack pattern alpha, your critical severity, after everything is calculated in, that's when the damage modifiers add in as well. Yeah, I forgot they made that change. Yeah, they did. I mean, on when it comes to looking at the stats, it does boost the base damage, but they also calculate in, calculate in at the very end as well. Well, your fleet weapons have damage times three, critical severity one. So not only do they have three damage modifiers on them, they also get a standing 20% critical severity on each one. So if that weapon does a critical hit on top of whatever your base statistics are for your starship, you add another 20% to the severity of that weapon hit. And with that, I mean, you've got plenty of damage right there without having to go through a lockbox or a lobby weapon. So it's that's been kind of the preferred mods unless you're doing crafting. And a lot of people like to have the pen mod, which is an armor pen. You're ignoring some of the target's damage resistance with every shot. And it just literally depends on which weapon you're using as to which setup works best. But just overall advanced fleet weapons and don't touch elite weapons. Because the procs on those don't work. But advanced fleet weapons with the four mods, those are relatively inexpensive considering. And they can work just as well when you first purchase them and when you upgrade them to absolute maximum. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. Okay, so we've also, while we've been on air, there's been released news from Star Trek Online that next Friday, which is the 15th, let me just check. No, it's Wednesday, sorry. So um, on the 15th of February at 4 p.m. Pacific, um, they are doing a Star Trek Online console Agents of Yesterday live stream. So it's basically for the launch. So there'll be devs on twitch.tv forward slash perfect world underscore community and on facebook.com forward slash Star Trek Online game. So at four o'clock Pacific, you have Maria Rosso who's the producer at Cryptic Studios for Star Trek Online. At half past four, Sam Wall, he's the Agents of Yesterday lead artist. At five o'clock, you have Jeremy Randall, also known as Borticus, who's the staff systems designer. And at half past five is Kira Kastner, who's the assistant producer. So they'll be answering questions. More than likely, they will be doing um, some prize giveaways as well. So, um, yeah, go and tune in. Um, the links will, of course, be in our show notes to that news. Okay, well, that's it for console news. So now time for the combat log. Actually, can can... Before we move on, can I point out a little boo-boo that Stowe's Facebook page made? 
Yeah, go on. Earlier this week, uh, the Star Trek Online Facebook page posted a link to a non-existent promotion. The fact that the console players would be getting the Tal Shiar lockbox. An updated version of the Tal Shiar lockbox for the PC uh, uh, in Tier 6 variants for the console. It said this, there were pictures of the ships, but the link linked nowhere to the ARC information. And, uh, well, uh, this is kind of an official leak. You know, it was the Star Trek Online Facebook page that leaked this information. So, yeah. Yeah, they Luke. basically gave away the fact that the, the next lockbox is going to be T6 Tall Shiars. That just basically tells us on PC that coming soon, our Tier 5 Tall Shiar ships are going to be taken out of the game and replaced with the Tier 6 versions. In the mm-hmm. lockboxes. They're slowly whittling down those tier 5 prizes in the infinity box, aren't they? Yeah. Okay, you can play this segment now, Midnight. Combat Log. That sounded like a defiant, and that was awesome. That was awesome. I liked that. Keep that one forever. <laughs> if we have one for closing the segment as well, which is the sound of the ship recloaking. Oh, that is just that is awesome. <laughs> no, we don't. I just suddenly realized that I hadn't created um, a scene for the thing, so I was just adding it, and then I forgot that it played automatically when I loaded it. <laughs> I was like, don't. That's us being pros, rocking it. So, uh, in the time that we were all talking about different other stuff after the Gorn thing, I went looking for Battlestar Galactica, the the ship, the Battlestar Galactica from the original series. And yeah, the Gorn vessel does kind of look like the original Battlestar Galactica. Then I got to thinking about how uh, a few other ships were designed, so I went to go look at the Ticonderoga from Starship Troopers, and yeah, there's a little bit of Battlestar Galactica inspiration there, too. How do you say that? <laughs> Ticonderoga? I don't know. Could it, could it be any long, Ticonderoga? Any long-term listeners to the show will know what that's about. <laughs> At least I can say it properly. Indeed. So, Combat Log, you've got a budget build for the Avenger. Oh, yeah. A lot to cover for me this week. How did that happen? Stu Dog, I blame you. Okay. Um, Yeah, yeah, I told you. (laughs) Bad Dog. Um, Well, honestly, this one was only done this past week because of viewer request. I really hadn't thought about it, but I had a couple of subscribers ask, you know, was I going to do a budget build on the Avenger they gave away and the Burrell and the Tavaro, which I really don't have a Romulan tune, so I didn't do that one. But this week we did a budget build on the T5 Avenger. One thing we did learn before I go into that is I never bought the C-Store version. I only bought a fleet version about a year and a half ago, I believe it was. I bought it for five fleet ship modules, and I upgraded it to T5U. So I had a fleet T5U. 
because of that, when I got the Avenger from the C-Store that they gave away, it had a free upgrade built into it. So apparently if you've already bought the fleet version before the C-Store, it's unlocking a free upgrade to T5U. Did not know that. Just thought it came with it for free. Um, which I stated, I've stated in the comments how to modify the build a little bit. But the build is using nothing but mission rewards. I have one crafted console in it in a conductive RCS with shield regeneration. And I'm using the Lucari console that came out on this event ship. But just pure mission rewards, um, either traits that you come with as standard on your character or their mission rewards, just that that's the theme. You're not really spending anything whatsoever. You're not touching the exchange, the C-Store, anything whatsoever. Um, and she surprised me by broadsiding with Mark 11 and Mark 12 disruptors to be able to do 55k in an ISA and still survive. And that's with no upgrades whatsoever. So it's definitely something if you have the Avenger class, if you got it from this, um, the giveaway they did two weeks ago, I believe it was two weeks ago, time flies, might want to check it out if you do like also having a broadsider build. Because I happen to like disruptors, they work amazingly, even on a budget level. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, next week is KDF, and we are covering the Burrell that they gave out. And we're using cannons and turrets, so I'm just going to let that sink in a little bit. Because I know someone out there is wanting that one as well. You will. Um, in chat, um, regarding the console news, we did actually have... Um, somebody, I think it was Alex, asking um, if Kira um, Carson was actually the QA lead when we last had her on the show, um, which was back in uh, June 2016. Um, and yes, um, at that time she was the QA lead. So um, as I mentioned earlier on in the show that there have been some job changes um, and some restructuring around in, um, Star Trek Online. And um, she's one of them, and she's now the assistant producer. Okay, well, that's it for Star Trek Online this week. So, now it's time for Star Trek Timelines. Does no one here understand your incredible good fortune? Star Trek Timelines. Did someone say game? You seem to find this all very amusing. Yes, oh. yes, I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. That one right now wins only because it has my favorite anti-hero of all of Star Trek, which is Q. So that one wins, hands down, unless he shows up in another clip. Yes, I wholly <laughs> find this amusing right now. <laughs> so, um, as always, we have a new event on when it comes to um, the weekends. So this week is the Captain's Oath. So, this is a um, hybrid event, so it's part crafting, part shuttles? Is that what's going on? Um, so. the, it's in two parts, and the first part at the moment is the shuttle event. Um, I haven't had a chance to look um, what the second part is, but usually it's still shuttles, um, unless they're um, turning that around. So... Um, but they have said it's the first hybrid event, so maybe 
um, they are changing it. But um, I didn't I'm see... I'm thinking that's what it is. That's going by what it sent to me in-game in mail. But, like, this is the problem I have with the mail system, is it just deletes mail. It doesn't store them for me to read them again. Yeah, it doesn't keep them, unfortunately. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I sort of quickly scanned the first part of it and um, I went to put my phone down to grab the next bit of my lunch and accidentally hit the confirm button as I did it. So I didn't actually get a chance to read it in full. Because, um, yeah, it seems to be one of those weeks this week. So, um, but yeah, it... They're actually calling the event type as hybrid event. So we're in phase one at the moment, and then phase two starts tomorrow. So um, when some people who are listening to the show um, during the week, as they sort of drive to work and things, the event, of course, will be finished. Um, you do have squadrons, and for phase one, you do have crew sharing. I must admit, I haven't really done much with crew sharing yet. Um, it's one part of the game I've still got to check out. Um, the event crew, um, you've got Captain Sulu, who is the four-star super rare. Um, he's already existing in the game. Um, you've got Captain Morgan Bateson, um, who's a new character. That's a five-star legendary. And you've also got Captain John Harriman, um, he's a four-star super rare, uh, and again, that's new. Um, although, you never know, there might be a bug, and you may not get him till Tuesday. Long. This is entirely true. <laughs> uh, someone had to say it. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot of characters in this one I had noticed. There seems to be more than usual when it comes to characters that will provide, and crew that will actually provide bonuses so you've got all the archers, all the Janeways, all the Kirks, um, the captain of the forge. Basically, anyone who's been a captain at some point, including recovering Spock, um, and even Captain Nog, will actually get um, you a boost when it comes to the missions. So, um, so yeah, it was strange to see slotting in the crew so many of them giving bonuses it's like wow <laughs> so firing off the fourth one and still getting bonuses <laughs> so um yeah that made a change so uh yeah definitely different of course um this one the only faction that's up this time because re recent events have had it that it's usually been at least three factions on the go and you've got to choose sort of which one's um, you want to sort of donate to this one is only federation um so means I've slowly getting through the i think it was nearly two hundred that, that I've got of those uh, missions to sort of use so um so yeah now this week there is I was actually supposed to have gone to the cinema on Tuesday. Um, but it was a late showing, so I usually go straight from work because it's local to my work, so I've got um, a cinema card. Um, so what I'd actually done is I'd gone home and I thought, okay, with Discord, I'd recently joined um, the Star Trek Timelines um, Discord um, 
group that's there. And it's really good. Um, they've got lots of different rooms where you can get help and information. There's lots of information about all the characters and crew and things like that. And um, there's also a Google spreadsheet on there, which has a breakdown of all the crew. And you can keep track of where your crew is. So um, you can keep track of how many times it's been fused, what level they're at, all that stuff. And it's even got their max stats in there as well. So if you're wanting to try and figure out who would be best for doing, say, some of the cadet challenges, um, which is one of the things that I was doing, um, it's very, very useful. But I was just so busy updating that workbook that I'd completely lost track of time. Uh, um, yeah, Sharon came to say goodnight, uh, my wife, and it's just like, oh, you're going to bed early. And then I realized that, no, nope, I'd actually missed the um, cinema show because I was just so busy <laughs> sorting all this stuff out. So, um, so yeah, definitely very useful workbook and um, a very useful community setting. So if you do use the Discord app, um, now, for anyone who doesn't know what Discord is, it's an app that you can get on your phone, on your computers. Um, it's a way that you can talk to people. Um, so it allows um, voice communications, but you can also use it just to instant message um, people as well. And you have different rooms and things like that. And you can tag people um, for certain parts of communications or even do direct messaging and it's completely free. So um, the link for the invite to the Star Trek Timelines um, Discord group will, of course, be in our show notes. And if you just like to go and check out Discord itself, then go to discordapp.com and you can download it there. And the link, of course, to that workbook will, of course, be in our show notes as well. But if you'd like to actually enter your crew in to the workbook, you'll need to just make a copy of it and add that to your Google Drive. So um, that's what I've done. Now, once you make a copy, when new crew are added, so for example, with this week's crew, um, with this week's event, the crew that are new are Captain Morgan Bateson and Captain John Harriman you would basically need to go to the master worksheet again and then copy in those rows so you've got that information in there. So, um, so yeah, there is a little bit of upkeep that you'll need to do um, or you just take another copy of it and you just put it in the information, you update your crew information from the other sheet. So there, there are two ways that you can update it. But, um, yeah, I sort of spent, because as people who've listened to the show know, I'd sort of, I got a little bit bored of the game a couple of months ago, and I'd basically just been building up my chronotons that I'd got sort of like thousands. And I've spent a lot in recent events that have actually required you to use chronotons. But um, recently, I've actually been updating some of my sort of two-star and three-star um, crew for um, the little things like cadet challenges and that. So that way I can actually do the elite ones and get the nice rewards to sort of build up other things. So, um, so yeah, I've been sort of leveling up the characters I've chosen to sort of use for them. Um, 
what I've mainly been doing actually is rather than going through all the little story bits is I've just been repeating the first mission of the epic level and that gets you the sort of maximum amount of chronotons and things like that. Um, so um, yeah, I just keep repeating that. So I pick the three crew that I need. I work them up to at least level 100. Um, if I don't get them to, I forgot what the status is called now. Um, oh, when you get them to level 100 and you get all four of the um, gear items. Um, is that the immortal? immortalization thing? Immortalization, thank you, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I either get them to level 100 or I get them to the immortal level. So, um, and that way, that's the sort of max stats so I know I can go through those missions and to get those e extra rewards. So, um, so, yeah, but the workbook's pretty good. It's also got... Um, a summary page as well so it tells you how many crew you have at each star level so i can literally go to this page i can see that okay i've got 15 one stars 31 two stars 52 three stars 54 stars and 10 five stars and it also breaks those down to say how many of them are at level 100 how many of them are immortal and how many of them you've actually vaulted as well so um yeah, it's a really good spreadsheet, and um, as I said, I've used that quite a bit um, this week um, to just sort of decide what I'm doing to sort of get people together to actually complete these cadet challenges um, properly um, and to sort of work through to get the epic levels of them, even if it's just for that very first mission of them for... Um, the better rewards if I'm not looking to get some of the other um, rewards that you get for going along the storyline part of it. So, so um, yeah, a big thank you to all the people who are involved to not only keeping it up to date, but who actually created it. And there's a few people. If you join the um, Discord group um, and or you just download the sheet, all their information is in there. So it was originally created by Caladon and um, Psychborg, and it's also updated um, by um, Alia. I think that's how you say that. So thank you very much to those people, because, yeah, I found it very useful, and I think anyone else who's got a lot of characters especially... Um, would find that useful too, especially when it comes to trying to figure out what you want for these events. So, um, but yeah, especially as tomorrow, um, I plan to get another five slots because I would have finally saved up enough dilithium. So, um, that'll be 155 crew that I have because I'll be able to get those five slots just before the five new characters that I've got, um, actually have their sort of timer expire and automatically get removed so um, so yeah it becomes very useful so do any of you guys think that you might use the workbook yeah i definitely need something to help me keep track of all the characters that i've got well as i was going through entering the information i actually found that i'd got i think it was three or four characters duplicated um 
but because at this point when it's all got I've got over 150 crew that I hadn't noticed so I'd leveled up some of these I'd got like one of them at level 70 and then another one at level 30 or 40 and it's like don't so I got rid of those duplicates which um at least freed up a couple of spaces um not for long but um so yeah definitely worth a look at something that i've noticed actually from the new event i've done quite a few of the shuttle missions it's it's not been throwing new personnel at me it's only thrown one at me so far i've I've reached level quite a few times with that. Yeah, I, I think you need to get to you level up six times or something before you get the first Captain Sulu. Okay. Because um, so, I think I've leveled up leveled up about five times so far. I haven't had much time to um, play the shuttle ones. So, um, and I know that he's my next um, reward for that. So, um, and then I think you get him in another eight rewards again, so you can get him to two star. So, I got uh, Ben Cisco holding a champagne flute. Um, that's promoted Cisco, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah, he's one of my um, level one hundred characters that I've got fully fused. Um, Which so, means a war could be our only hope. And yeah, I've got him immortalized as well. So um, he's very good for um, running the cadet challenges because I actually use him for um, oh, the EAS, the EAS reward, um, the EAS event. But yeah, it's his command, um, which is very high. And his yeah, command he's also and very security. high on security. Yeah, his yeah. Uh, command and security are very high. And then I use a Captain Picard for diplomacy. So, um, but yeah, I use him for the EAS event. Um, and it's bugging me now what EAS stands for. Um, Ex Astra Scientia? Scientia? Yeah, I think that's it, yeah. Um, so yeah, I use him for that event, which gets you the chronotons. So he's one of the crew that I use on the epic level to get 25 chronotons each time. And that event runs, I think it's twice a week, isn't it? So um, you can very easily get um, 150 chronotons twice a week. Um, so, yeah, I use him. Um, I also use CMO Crusher and Lieutenant Commander Data um, for those ones. So I've got each of them sort of to a hundred and immortalized as well. And yeah, I just keep running that first epic one and that just gets me um, a load of extra um, chronotons because usually when you're playing timelines, you usually get stopped because you run out of chronotons. Um, but unfortunately with leveling up all these extra characters for the other cadet challenges has actually meant that I've now only got about a hundred chronotons left. <laughs> so, so in a way, I'm actually glad that it's actually a shuttle mission um, for at least this first phase of um, this weekend's event. So, but yeah, as mentioned, 
definitely go check it out if you're a Star Trek Timelines player. So, okay. Well, that's all the news we have for Star Trek Timelines this week. So, on to our next segment. <laughs> Star Trek News. Okay, now I feel like I'm in the Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose if you wanted to go all wild, um, the Star Trek news for this week is regarding... 50 Artists for 50 Years, which is the portfolio collection that is now available. So if you want to go do a heist, um, or ha, even better. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> oh, I had to link cowboys into it somehow. Oh, I know you did. <laughs> See, I really, I, maybe it's just me, but I feel that that background music belongs with the holodeck segment because a fistful of datas. Oh, the holodeck's got its own. I, oh no, I understand that, and that probably you know it's Find probably going to be awesome, but yeah. Um, but yeah, um, fifty artists, fifty years. This portfolio collection is now available. So it's put together by many artists. So you've got J.K. Woodward, um, you've got Johnson Tsang. Sorry for probably butchering your last name, and I'm sure it won't be the last one. Um, you've got Calvin Ma, Amir Abu-Rumi. Yeah, I'm probably going to butcher these way too much, so I'll just stop now. Um, and also including um, artwork from Leonard Nimoy as well. So there are 53 limited edition prints ranging from 18 by 6 to 12 by 18 and that's of course in inches. Um, they come hand numbered and housed in a custom portfolio box with a suede interior. Lightspeed Fine Art is also offering two options. So you can get a box set with a frame for $995 and you can get the box set without the frame for $695. So. Basically, if you would like to get the frames, then that's an extra $300. So just go to lightspeedfineart.com to purchase your set. Of course, we will have the link in our show notes if you need to go back to refer to it. Um, Oracle's also asked a question in chat saying, with the new audio transitions, um, will there be new video transitions as well? Got plans to work on that, so they'll be coming soon. TM. TM. <laughs> TM. Registered. But yeah, um, I've got ideas for that, and I have upgraded my Adobe package, so it, rather than just including Adobe Audition and Adobe Photoshop, I've now got the full CC suite, so I can sort out the video transitions to go with the music but I just haven't had time to do that just yet. Unfortunately, work's been a little bit busy. So, so this week in Star Trek history, do Original series episode, Return to Tomorrow, first aired on the 9th of February, 1968. 
the Enterprise finds the consciousnesses of three alien beings held inside data cores on a planet and the consciousnesses communicate with the Enterprise and ask them to help to build robotic bodies to house them. So the one of the consciousnesses doesn't well, the the three of them are held inside Enterprise crew members' bodies to work on building their own robotic bodies. So they're inside Kirk, Spock, and Dr. Anne Mulhall, who's played by Diana Mulder. But one of them is kind of like a snake. He, he doesn't really want to leave Spock's body. And this ends up in a, a situation happening. I remember this episode. It's very this much a... got... It's very much got sort of Garden of Eden kind of vibes going through it, because they say that you know, like they they created life and stuff like that. Yeah, this is the this is the thing where it's mentioned. Oh, hey, you look kind of like us, Spock. Maybe one of the planets we seeded was yours. Yeah, and the the guy who inhabits Spock's body is like, oh yeah, I feel like I'm at home inside this body. Yeah. Part of me, for some reason, was thinking when you first started talking that it was actually a TAS episode. Um, but it's not. It's um, one of the TOS ones from is it season two or season three? I think it's season three, going by the date, yeah. And you've actually got a memory alpha link. Give some right information. So first aired, 9th of February, 68, episode 22 of season two. So, yeah, it's the end of... Uh, yeah, towards the end of season, season two. two. Yeah. So, um, so you can Netflix that guy up. Yes, Alex. Yes, Dr. Pulaski is in this episode. But not as Dr. Pulaski. Yep. It's also noted that in that episode, she was the highest-ranking female crew member to have appeared in the original series, at the rank of commander. Interesting. Okay. But you mentioned the animated series. I'll see what I can dig up for next week on that one, because we haven't covered an animated series episode yet. We've been through TNG, TOS, DS9, Voyager. Have we done an Enterprise episode yet? Uh, No, I don't think we have. There you go. That'll be the challenge for the next two weeks then animated series and enterprise okay so on to our next segment convention news so a reminder that fcd out of the ashes March 31st to 2nd of April um, is now selling photo shoot tickets. So just a reminder of who is attending. You've got from Star Trek, Jonathan Frakes. Um, you've got Bruce. can never remember how to pronounce his last name. Box Lettner. Um, yeah, I can't remember how to say his last name. Can you guys remember? Box Lightner. Lightner, right, thank you. 
Um, that's, of course, Tron and Babylon 5. You've got Robert Picardo. So, of course, he was in multiple series of Star Trek. Um, in, of course, multiple um, shows of Stargate as well. Um, on Stargate, you've got David Blue. You've got Claudia Christian from Babylon 5. Again, from Stargate. And this time it's just Atlantis. Um, um, you've got Rainbow Sun Franks. He was also in Alien vs. Predator and The Listener. From Star Trek and, again, multiple series, you've got J.G. Herzler. And you've got Aaron Eisenberg as well. And you've also got John Carrigan, who's been in Star Trek. He's also appeared in the British Empire. Mr. Britas! And Renegades. So, go book your photo shoots if you are attending. Um, Star Trek Las Vegas. Patrick Stewart has been announced for this year. So, this year it is August 2nd to August 6th. So, that's Wednesday through Sunday. So, uh, yeah, make sure you get your tickets if you're wanting to see him. Okay. So, that's it for convention news. So, now we're on to Holodeck. Holodeck. Before we go any further, I was doing some back-checking. Remember how we talked about there wasn't a locked set attached to the Lakari ship? We may have lied. The Braden, Resonance, Warp Core, and Singularity Core are tied to the Lakari ship. It's a four-piece set on the, 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 the bonus thingy of the space set. Okay. So, there is that. Thank you for the clarification. You are welcome. So, we have a Deep Space Nine documentary. So, this was also reported on StarTrek.com. Now, they have already um, hit their target and still have a month left. Basically, they're looking to do a documentary about Deep Space Nine um, as it's reaching the... Um, Reaching or reached the 25th anniversary for DS9? No, because DS9 was this year just gone, isn't it, for the 25th anniversary? Because I think it's the 30th anniversary this year for TNG. Not sure. I can't um, remember now. I need to consult my yeah. technical <laughs> manual. <laughs> Google! <laughs> so anyway, regardless. Um, they're looking to um, basically interview all the cast and crew. And it's going to be directed by Adam Nimoy and produced by Iris Stephen Bear and David Zappone. Have I said his last name right? I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. So um, what they're hoping to do is use the money raised to be able to insert um, images and to insert film clips from the TV series and to also have sort of live orchestra play some original scores and things like that. 
So they've got multiple um, stretch goals. And um, yeah, they're, as I said, they're looking to sort of speak to the people involved now. Okay, so... No, that's... See, that's that's not even what it says, though. Like, if you look at the Indiegogo, it, it says most of the stuff that they've already pulled together is what they've pulled together. They're making this... The, the project that they're asking money for is post-production, which, okay, one, you're putting this up after, after the quote-unquote events we just had that took an entire year to get through of a lawsuit with fan films, and you think it's okay, you think it's wholly okay to go and put up an Indiegogo, Kickstarter-y, crowdfunding thing for a documentary. Okay, I have questions. I don't know how to direct these questions, who to direct these questions to, but because of what happened for a whole year, I have legitimate questions I'd like asked. Like, why in the portion of your thing where it says you're dividing money, it literally says that you want the, the you, that you're asking for this money so that you can seek seek a license from CBS for the clips and the images and all that kind of stuff. You're asking for the fans to foot the bill for your licensing. If this is supposed to be a documentary, shouldn't that have been the first thing you went after? Not, well, not the thing not you need from the fans? Well, not necessarily. You can have a documentary with um, interviews and things like that. No, no, I understand that. I understand that. My question is, why are you asking the fans to foot your bill for licensing, either in whole or in part? Because it's part of their their big, huge trifecta of where most money is going. Well, it's an expensive thing. And in order to do this, thing is... (laughs) I very much doubt this is for profit because otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. And given the people involved, they're not going to be doing what Alec Peters did, which was to sort of get his car service to a studio. This is listed on StarTrek.com as well from an article that I can see here. I'm, I'm so not, I am not questioning. in some way. I'm not questioning whether or not, I'm not questioning whether or not this is supposed to be a for-profit venture. Uh, like uh, and and wholly not like Peters. What I'm saying is because of the Axonar stuff, I have these questions that are kind of evaded around with this Kickstarter information. You know, with this with this crowdfunding information. Like, there's a whole section on licensing, and it says, yeah, licensing is the big thing we want here, so we can add clips and stuff. And it's like you're making a documentary. You say you've already made most of the documentary, and now you want the fans to pay for your licensing, either in whole or in part. That is a question I have. Why? Why are you asking the fans to pay for your licensing when you already have most of this documentary finished? Well, a lot of documentaries can bring subject matters to... The forefront of people's thoughts and a lot of people can see a documentary who may have not seen Deep Space Nine or Star Trek so if when you're talking about something you can show a clip that makes what they're discussing clearer it helps people who have 
no knowledge of the subject of Star Trek or Star Trek Deep Space Nine make it easier to understand. And it can also sort of bring interest into the franchise as well, despite it being sort of 20 years old or 25 years old. So having these clips will help people understand what's being discussed in these interviews. And look, I understand that. I understand that. My question for the licensing is, is why was this not kind of procured first? Yeah, that's I, I get where Sun is coming from on this one. My my mic was muted. I've actually been trying to answer for like five minutes. That's just funny. Um, no, it's just I, I get what he's saying. If there is actual importance behind the documentary does is not as nearly as effective or if it's not gonna have as much meaning if the clips from the show are not involved, if the clips that they've integrated into this to highlight DS9 are that integral to this documentary, the first thing that I would do is make for sure that I have those clips locked down because then everything else will fall into place. But if I get these clips that I need, and then that's my afterthought, and it's like, oh, well, I need... Okay, now it's the last thing, but I accidentally, you know, forgot about it. I need the fans to fund it, or it doesn't happen because half my documentary is based around making these clips highlight what the person is talking about when we're asking them questions. Well, there goes half your documentary only because the fans didn't fund it or help fund it in partial or in full for you. So it's kind of like, okay, well, if you want this documentary, you've got to help us pay for it. When I mean, there's a lot of documentaries out there. You don't need footage. They're using it, of course, to accent and help, you know, put a visual to it. But I would think, considering all of the Axonar stuff, that's what Sun's talking about. They would want to make sure that part is done first, because if they can't get the funding from the fans to use the clips, well, then that's half of their documentary or a good chunk of it they can't use because they don't have the licensing. That, the thing is, they they wouldn't have known what they wanted with regards to clips and things like that because it well, would it have been have, dependent... Hang on. It would have been dependent on what was said by the interviews. As they've done that, they've now processed that, they know what they do and don't want to use, and now it's clear that, okay it would make it so much more sense for people who don't know about Star Trek to be able to see these clips that are being referenced. Now, that is an expensive thing. They're, so this is why they're seeking funding after the fact. But if I don't see are, a problem for that. But at, at the same time, they probably, if they're you're making this and they're trying to do this document for DS9... It's in their thoughts. Okay, if we're going to discuss this episode with this person, we want a clip of it. Or if they're going to, you know, they could bring up anything from the show. Well, we could need any clip from any episode of seven seasons. So there is the entire possibility we could need at least one clip. So, okay, we might need one clip. So we need to plan ahead. It wouldn't matter which ones they used, but for a documentary like this where even the possibility comes up. You might want a clip to help, you know, bring new fans into it to see it or 
accent what the actor's talking about, even if there's the hint or thought that you might need a visual representation, that would be the first thing I'd lock down. The first thing. It doesn't matter what clip it is. It could be the the freaking opening intro where it's just showing off the station because, oh, okay, let's, let's talk about Deep Space Nine, and then we show the opening credits. I would think, you know, if you're wanting to do that, if you're wanting any visual representation, even if it's a picture, I mean, hell, they could, you know, CBS could be very strict about it and just, okay, well, you're using pictures from the show because you screen capped it because we recognize that level of quality. Because of how strict CBS has been, that would be the first thing I'd lock down because for all, you know, you could be like, oh, well, you didn't authorize that one thing. So we're going to lock it down. I'd make for I'm sure just- CBS is done first and then everything else. Oh, well, we authorized any usage of clips from CBS first. So now that we've interviewed them, we know what clips we can use. We've already got previous permission and licensing from a broad spectrum. We can refine that with CBS now. But we've already at least got permissions to use it. We've already got licensing to use clips first. Because right now, with the way it sounds is, okay, we don't we don't have licensing for it, and if we don't get licensing from our fans, it can't happen. Or it's going to take who knows how long before we can get the licensing on our own budget or a rewrite that just uses what they said. That that's that's what I'm getting from it is if we don't if the if crowdfunding doesn't happen they can't use a chunk of reference material and possibly the whole project doesn't even go through no i think it would still go through it just wouldn't use the reference material but it just means it's only people who know star trek it would make complete sense to whereas it as i said with documentaries the reference material like that helps when you don't know about it in its entirety sort of thing. So, and... Then let's the, lock down well, the this, visuals this, first. This goes, even, this goes even further than the clips and stuff. Okay, uh, and and this may seem like an extreme thing, but this is this is a thing. Their perk fulfillment is reselling official Star Trek merchandise. I would think you would need a license up front for that. That could be part of the license they're looking to get. And if they're looking to get some sort of license... Why well, offer it hang in on, the first hang, place? Hang on. If they're offering um, stuff that's licensed, and they're look, they would have needed an amount anyway, so they have more than likely to get that amount already talked to CBS about what is required. And then there's... It's actually on Star Trek.com as well. It's on the Star Trek website, yeah. so... It must be legit. So to to be on StarTrek.com and to have people who... things unlike with other productions such as Axanar where all this stuff has gone wrong, you've got people who, like Ira Stevenberg, producer and showrunner of this, he is someone who would have been very heavily connected to CBS. I very much doubt any of this would have actually been started if it hadn't have been checked out first. No, checked out, I'm yes, not, I'm but not was saying it paid this, for? 
I'm not saying that this isn't legit. My concerns are, after the shit we've just gone through, any production that comes to a crowdfunding site, for me, that has to do with Star Trek, and CBS and Paramount and what the hell ever else, probably needs to have a Nintendo seal of approval type of stamp from CBS and Paramount on that thing for them to show off to say, hey, we got all this stuff certified and and okayed first, and then we can discuss whether or not it's okay for the fans to be doing your licensing. Because, you know, uh, Stu had a back and forth with somebody on their, their Reddit thing, and, you know, it was brought up. These, you know, this group, uh, five, uh, four five five studios, had done three other Trek pr- production documentaries before, including Nimoy's "For the Love of Spock," which I haven't seen that campaign yet. But I ha- then have to ask myself: Did they, you know, did Nimoy during that campaign ask for licensing from the crowdfunding fans? And if he did, this means that a new type of gray area starts to emerge where you can do anything Trek you want as long as you raise the money for licensing, as long as that licensing money goes through the fans. You don't have to spend a dime on licensing. That's where my mind is on this issue. Yeah, because I I can understand production. Because I I just did an interview today with Eric Henry. That's Pacific 201. And... His Indiegogo right now is just trying to help finish out production because right now they're having issues funding the building that they're using for some of their set scenes that they're trying to record still. So it's all about production. He lays it out fully. So I can understand crowdfunding for production. But when it comes to anything that's licensing, and we talked about this off camera, it's like, okay, I would take care of that first because if I don't have licensing – then I don't have permission. Licensing is basically a permission slip that you've paid for. So if we're asking for licensing funding now, first off to me, did we get permission first? Okay, it's on the Star Trek website. So obviously you got permission. Some licensing was already signed. So are you doing the Indiegogo now to recoup the funds you've already spent out of pocket because you went ahead and you got everything you needed and now you're recouping the funds? Or was this thrown together and all of a sudden it's an afterthought that, hey, to do a section, small, large, or wholly required to do the project, oops, we forgot the license for it. To me, it just comes off like it wasn't planned fully. Or we're helping them recoup funds they've already spent. Because if it's on the StarTrek.com website, it's legit. Okay, then that means they've already spent the money, and to me, maybe they're trying to recoup funds instead of okay, we're getting licensing funds. It's got to be it's got to be clear. I'm sorry, after Axanar and all of the gray area, it has to be black and white. There can't be any gray area. If if it means a 40 page document doing every detail on that Indiegogo, so that it is dumbed down to a point it is beyond crystal clear, that's what needs to be done. Yeah, we need um, to see the books on this one. It, it, it's gotten to that point now with anything that's fan-related. It it has to be on the level. It is crystal clear. And right now, from what I'm seeing, it's not crystal clear. There is gray area. And 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 again, and it's part of the it's part of the crowdfunding problem. The crowdfunding is the problem. 
I mean, and I get, I get it. You know, I had we had this discussion in the Facebook group. The crowdfunding thing is a great way to bypass some of the horribly archaic, older restrictions of doing things, and that's great. But at the same time, for every for every good thing that happens through crowdfunding, you get a $55,000 raise to make potato salad or a Star Trek Axanar. Yeah, because what what was one of the big things that came out of Axanar? Everybody wanted to see their books. Where was the money really going? Everybody wanted it a detailed, 100%, where's the money going that came from the crowdfunding? How was it broken down? What needed to be – what was left? Why is there this – personal thing over here why was this there i you know because of that where's that for here like okay you want licensing but if it's legit from everything i've learned about this kind of stuff typically you get licensing for things first before you start going off and doing you don't just go out and make a super mario brothers game and you use all the stuff that you need and then oh well let me go get let me go ahead and ha- have some help getting the licensing for it so i can make it legit Typically, you get that first because licensing and permissions kind of come first before you start creating anything because then you've wasted a whole lot of time and effort. And then, oh, well, I don't have the license or permission to do it, so it's just going to sit here. Like, let's see the books. Let's see if there's legal documentation. Let's see it. I mean, you can thank Alec Peters and Axanar for it. Let's see every detail. Let's see how it's progressed, all the behind the scenes, all of it. Let's see a seal of approval from CBS Paramount saying this is certified, not just, oh, hey, it was posted on StarTrek.com. Maybe it's officially legit. Yeah, yeah, they did put in their frequently asked questions. Does CBS Studios know about this project? Yes, we have discussed the project at length with CBS Studios and have their permission to proceed with this campaign. In addition, all of our merchandise is officially licensed through CBS Studios and their providers. Quite honestly, next step, let me see the letter in which CBS and Paramount signed saying it. I'm sorry. Thank Axanar. But I know. It's, and it's, it's gotten that point. It has gotten to that point. Yeah. For me, if someone else who was, in a way, a nobody or someone who wants to do this as an up-and-coming thing, then yes, maybe I would be questioning it too. But given the people behind it, um, sort of... You've got, as I said, Iron Stephen Burr. Now, he was behind most of Star Trek. Um, then you've got sort of Adam Nimoy himself, who's even part of the new Star Trek Discovery. So, given these people are behind this, I'm not to be I'm not worried or questioning that because, to me, it's going to be. They're not going to put their careers on the line. Unlike someone like Alec Peters, who doesn't have a career and who was trying to make a career, this in is completely different. These are just people who love Star Trek. Um, yes, maybe they weren't woken up by their mothers late at night to watch it. Um, maybe because they actually worked for it. Sorry. <laughs> um but, but yeah, see, but the, it's, it's, the it's not, can, it's not questioning can... their character. It's not questioning who they are. Well, yeah, we're not it's, questioning. It's simply because of Axanar, people want all the details first before they sign a check. So it doesn't matter who the person is at this point. It could be William Shatner. 
and George Takei for all we care. It could be Gene Roddenberry, but because of how it's been treated and how Axar went along, people want a lot more of the details and everything else, the paperwork, before they start writing checks. Had Axanar, the whole incident not happened, totally different landscape. People would have just written a check. Oh, it's Adam Nimoy. Oh, it's it's Era. Let me just write a check. Bam. But because of that, regardless of who he was or who he wasn't, whether he was some guy that lived in a trash can like you know, Oscar the Grouch or whether he was a multi-billionaire, people but want you, those we, details now. Well, we, we, well, again, we had it with Alec Peters. We had it out of Tony Todd and J.G. Hertzler and these names that brought people to fun prelude. It's it's just one of the – the name is not enough anymore when it comes to credibility. Now, am I knocking Adam Nimoy? No. Am I knocking Ira? No. I met both of them at Vegas. Great gentlemen. Would love to help out their projects. The problem is because of Axnar and because there were big names attached to that, people are leery. People ask questions. Well, what is the status of this? Where is the paperwork for this? So it's not questioning who they are. It's not questioning their project, their legitimacy or anything. People are going to question why, and they're going to have proof as to why. why. Why do you need help with this? Why is this important? Why wasn't this handled beforehand? Was there issues that you have to have specific things before you do it, or can you do a broad scape? Like People are going to want to know the details first beforehand whereas two years ago three years ago if this, this same project would have come up no questions would have been asked not from cvs not from paramount not from anybody there would have just been blank checks written here you go bam i want to say at one time there was a kickstarter for for a for a parody porn called oh my the sulu hot dog incident that doesn't surprise me um but yeah, that's I mean that's the only point I'm making. It's it's not questioning anybody's character. It's because of what's happened over the past year in the fan films. Everybody questions every fan film, regardless of the names attached to it. People want more details. They want more of the behind the scenes. They want more proof and documentation and legitimacy now before they just start writing a check or doing a donation. Um that's all it's become now. Okay, you're Adam Nimoy, and you're awesome, but unfortunately, they ruined it over there, so now you have to do 30% more to prove your legitimacy. It's unfortunate, but that's the truth of the landscape now, probably for well, a little while longer, at the very and, least. Well, it's not even that. It's not even that. See, this is a problem that has been a long time coming between between Renegades and continues and all these other projects that started with a hey we're doing a star trek thing help fund us it has been this it has been this rolling snowball that had to come to a peters at some point had to come to the head where somebody would would intentionally cross the line and would have to be taken to court over it or would have to be smacked down within the community over it. And it would it would come to that head. And then to have this pop up, what, a month or two later? 
I mean, the timing is just kind of... We are still in the... I mean, we're, we're you know, the, the ruling came down, the settlement happened, okay. And then immediately, what feels like almost immediately, this pops up, even if it is a documentary. So you, also, timing does play into the imagery. Is that what you're saying, son? Yeah. I mean, you know, here, here we are with... <laughs> With a guy who had pro bono lawyers arguing, it's a mockumentary, it's a parody, it's fair use, and here you have another Indiegogo that pops up, even if it is credible and legit, going, we're doing everything fair use, and we're, we're acquiring a license, here, fund us. And it says, you know, and it, the way it reads, it's like, here, fund us by providing us with the cash for a license. I was just thinking there in the last couple of minutes, and I, I don't know if you guys would necessarily agree with what I'm thinking here, but surely they shouldn't have to be asking the fans for this. Surely CPS should be doing it because of the whole 50th anniversary of Star Trek, 25th anniversary of DS9 thing. It's one of our big major properties. We should be kind of pushing this ourselves rather than saying, that's fine. Bring us this the money long, and do what you want. This is a long-standing problem with CBS owning the Trek franchise. Is that CBS wants the fame and the fortune that comes with it, but then doesn't want to turn around and do the work to keep the people engaged with it. So they'll say, "Oh, it's not making any money," and and they'll drop it like a like a hot sack of shit. And then the moment it starts making money, they'll go, oh, I guess we need to take a look at it. Yeah, considering one of the directors that worked on DS9 itself is actually helping head this up, you would think, hey, he's coming back to work on a project related to his original project. We need to help with this. I agree. But that's yeah, that's Yeah, but that's not CBS logic. That's not corporate business logic. It's... This is an investment that we don't think will turn us a profit. We're not going to do it. And in that, I understand the going with the crowdfunding. Going with the crowdfunding says, hey, we need help because they won't officially like produce this in conjunction with us. We have to do this independently. Well, but I'll we still try and to- reach out to some people behind the project and see if we can get either questions answered or get them on the show to talk to them to find out more we'd love it. It, it was it was something we said in the facebook group we would love to have them here to ask these questions and not in a hostile manner just we don't understand and we want to we want to understand mm-hmm. because we don't know it looks like a pr nightmare I mean, you know, f- from from a standpoint of somebody watching the landscape of a fandom, you know, and and let me use something a whole bu- let me use something a lot more probably common than anything. To have to have a lawsuit over Star Wars. Star Wars, not Trek. Star Wars. To have a lawsuit over a fan film intentionally trying to create a career off of Star Wars something that Disney itself now owns. Yeah, that would have been drug all the way through court uh, because Disney wouldn't have let it go. 
but to have a lawsuit like that and then n- not 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 even 6 months you know not even 6 months later this independent filmmaking organization pops up on the same crowd or you know on the the same various crowdfunding platforms with a hey we want to make a documentary about one of the Star Wars movies it looks bad and there are a shit ton of questions and you know quite honestly if we if they were to come on the show or if they were to answer them publicly on facebook or social media and it all comes off as legit hey it helps the pr nightmare clear up because that's that's what it is you know from my point of view the gray area that i see is that fair enough the fan film rules have been put forward However, where do, what is fair use compared to these fan film rules and documentaries? So, according to some guy on Reddit, oh, it's a documentary, that's fair use, that's fine, they can raise however much they want. Okay, where where's the distinction? Where is the line? You know, these guys want three times the amount of what the rules state that a fan production can have so there needs to be that sort of do these rules cover only fictional Star Trek or is the documentary classed as a a non-fictional fair use thing that's what I'm not getting well and there's there's another there is a another part to this I'm sorry to say um documentaries even documentaries classed as non-profit still turn profit. They're, they're, they're still using the same intellectual property. Well, th- that's not... Well, no. I mean, what I mean is that documentaries are still for-profit ventures. You know, there are... How many documentaries are there on, on Netflix right now that are about Star Trek? Too damn many. Exactly. Now, of those, they're all made by various directors, producers, whatnot, and cover an entire range of different subjects. But at the same point, each one of those views makes money. Who gets the money? Yeah, because it's being broadcast by Netflix, and they get a profit margin for everything that gets played on their particular, I guess, media outlet. Right. Now, see, here's the thing. Even if, you know, a documentary, a documentary by its nature of being a documentary is not inherently nonprofit. It is a it is a very for profit venture. It is usually a solely invested for profit venture. You know, when you when you talk about, you know, uh, Michael Moore is an independent documentarist. Some would say, others would say otherwise, here in the United States. But when Michael Moore comes out with a new documentary, he makes a profit on it through DVD sales and screenings through Netflix or at theaters. He makes a profit. And he then turns around and uses that profit to fund a next documentary. That is a career. And that a, that is a documentary that is a you know, and that makes a documentary a, a for-profit venture. Now, if these people say that this is a, a no, 
a, a nonprofit venture, I would like to see, you know, how they're going to continue to make that a reality, especially when it comes to something like Netflix, where all of these documentaries are, and Netflix is turning a profit because of the viewing, because of the people subscribed to view it, and somebody is also making a profit off of those Netflix subscriptions because that content is being viewed, whether it's the person who directed the film or produced the film or the people at CBS themselves for having licensed the ability to make that documentary. Well, it goes beyond CBS even. YouTube has ended up becoming extremely profitable when it comes to certain content. Um, I mean, I'll use uh, PewDiePie, for example. I can't watch his stuff because he sometimes is He's an like, asshole. Yeah. But because of his viewership and his subscribers and everything, the dude makes about 9 to 10 million in one year from all the crowdfunding and AdSense campaigns for ads that play on his his videos. He gets a portion of the money that is made from playing the ad. Right. Yeah. He, he, you know, he, there's multiple revenue resources. So putting it on YouTube, people access YouTube every single day. Even if they well, don't have a Netflix the- account because they don't have to pay for the Netflix account if they got YouTube. YouTube is right. a free website. And yet if that video – in any way is monetized or has an AdSense mm-hmm. campaign or if it's paid based off of a viewership or subscribers in any way on YouTube. And they have changed some of the rules on it, but there are so many ways on YouTube to make money. You think you're just watching a free video that they just uploaded and they're making a profit off of views, off of subscribers, off of AdSense, off of all sorts of things. They get off of, off of YouTube and upload it for free and it gets played for free and they can still cut a check for it, and they don't even have to go to Netflix because there will be licensing, and Netflix has to get their cut. Now, if they do it with YouTube, it's all their money. So, I mean, this it's not just Netflix. It's you've got Hulu because some of the stuff is on Hulu. You got YouTube. I mean, if they were really ambitious, you could throw up in a Facebook post, you know, so or you could just put it on a Dropbox for people to download. There's so many different ways to get it out there now, but there's also so many ways to make profit off of it and not even think about that. Oh, I'm making profit off of it because it's automatic for some of these things. Um, So to be able to say it's completely non-profit nowadays is extremely hard and would take a lot of proof. I think we keep going back to the whole proof thing. It's just, it's, it's... Yeah, it it, it is. At the end of the day, it's all about proof. And it's all about asking, do you already have the license? Or are you asking the fans to foot the bill for the license? Because to me, that signals a whole new Alec Peters gray area where I can make anything as long as I obtain a license, even if that means the fans foot the bill for it. Which I think in the, the short run or the long run... Not just for this project, but everybody's going to have to just pony up and sh- start showing the books, start showing the step-by-steps. Because if we're asking these questions out loud, there are people out there that are asking it silently, or they're asking it in a Facebook comment, like, why do you need this money? And it's it's going to get to that point. Eventually, it'll probably go away from it, because trust will be built back up with the fans and then with everybody that's making these films – 
even well, if they no, are the big names. Is, the trust, the trust is already there. They have, they have already raised over fifty thousand, oh, uh, more dollars than their original goal. They're sitting at two hundred and four thousand dollars of their one hundred thousand dollar goal. But is that trust, or is it? Oh my God! It has to do with DS Nine. That would be uh, my big question because my first thought when I saw, "Ooh, it's DS Nine! I want to help because DS Nine was amazing." So is it well, honest the, trust, the, or is it blind trust? There's a big difference there. Uh, well, it still shows that there is trust there, whether it's blind or honest is irrelevant there is still this inherent trust there well i suppose which is a problem i suppose with even if some people are questioning if those answers were out there the people who may be holding off on donating because they have these questions even if they're not vocal about it might then donate and they can then reach mm-hmm. or further stretch goals Right. But as I said, I will reach out to them and um, see if we can get them on the show um, or um, maybe get them to just listen to the show and respond. Um, but I'll reach out and see what they say. It's just um, it's it's one of those it's one of those weird things where you you see that and you for me personally, the first thing I did was lean back in my chair and go, eh, what is this? What? Why are pe- more people asking for Trek money? But, uh, yeah, I shall let you know if I hear anything. Okay. Well, Renegades has been mentioned in our chat. And, um, yeah, on the 2nd of February, um, we were, had expected the release of... Um, Renegades, but I didn't get any notification until a little while later, although when quickly looking for it tonight um, I couldn't actually find that email at all. Um, Basically the new part one has been released from what I can tell, um, although I've not had a chance to sort of find it. Basically if you're an official Renegades donor um, you'll have the ability to log in. You'll have a password in order to get it at a specific time. So check your emails. Um, you should be able to um, see the um, well remastered version, I suppose, of Renegades, which has got uh, um, no Star Trek, Star Trek in it. Um, so. As I said, I haven't had a chance to find my email to actually go and have a look at what the changes are myself. And um, yeah, I shall let people know what I think. But um, people should have it or should be getting it very soon, um, according to their website. So, okay. Um, in in settlement ch- news. Um, yeah, we did have... Um, I think it was Alex Wonder who um, had actually put into um, our chat that Axanar are no longer using the Twitter handle Star Trek Axanar. They now have Star Trek, I'm um, sorry, Star Trek. They now have at Axanar Film. 
And the funny thing is, of course, is that, of course, as soon as they changed, it looks like somebody else snapped up Star Trek Axena. And that's now just showing as the egg. So <laughs> Now, um, I'm just trying to think because didn't they actually have their domain as Star Trek Axanar as well? Yep. Ah, so they that's now changed as well. That now goes to um, Axanar Productions. So, yeah, it looks like they're, even after sort of, a, over a year of all this happening and them saying, oh, we've removed all of Star Trek from this and this. And it's just like, well, all your social media and website stuff still actually shows Star Trek Axanar. But yeah, um, as I think Sun, you'd mentioned in the chat as well, that it's more than likely part of the settlement. Yeah, it, was, which is, it seemed to have part of the settlement. Yeah, which is that final... everything Star Trek had to be removed from Axanar. Yeah, so finally actually do what you're supposed to have done. Meanwhile, it seems it seems as if the Star Trek Axanar has been taken over by whoever the hell runs Tamp Axanar, because I'm I'm detecting the same the, the same sarcasm and and sheer wit. Like this post on January 31st from Axanar at Star Trek Axanar, which is a reply that says, no, they were annoyed because we used the Star Trek brand to milk fans out of 1.4 million to fund a for-profit studio. So I can see the Tampaxanar kind of logic in in whoever now owns Star Trek Axanar on Twitter. Um, Alex Wonder in chat has also pointed out that their YouTube channel is still got the Star Trek Axanar as the username. Although, to be fair, it's... You can't change it that easily. Yeah. Changing your YouTube channel is not as easy as changing things on other social networks. Out of all of them, Twitter is the easiest. Basically, you, um, you can change it nice and easy. With Facebook, you can change it, but only after a certain amount of time that that it was last changed and you can only do it so many times and and it has to be certified and all this other stuff so it's easy enough to do but it has restrictions so um but yeah things like your twitter is nice and simple to change and yeah it's just unfortunately taken them this long to do so but uh oh well so, that's it for Holodeck. Alrighty. Yes, it's now time for In the Community. In the Community. <laughs> dance party starts in half a minute. Get out on the dance floor. <laughs> Wait a minute. Was was there was there a me giggle in there and then somebody so. else giggling at the end? That that was that was weird. <laughs> uh, so, um, in the community, um, we've talked before about Mav from Stoked Radio. Um, unfortunately, he had to go back to hospital. Um, in the early hours of 
the 8th of February, um, he um, sent a message out saying that he's preparing to go back to the emergency room. Um, his BP is acting hypertensive. He was getting dizzy and lightheaded, along with chest pains and rapid breathing. Blood pressure. Uh, yes, BP is blood pressure. And later on, on the 8th in the afternoon, he did an update that said, New problem, discovery of blood clots in the lungs and one in the left leg. Um, and then this morning, so for people in the US, um, that is the 10th of February. So two days later, uh, he said, home resting, another close call follow-up appointments three days next week um i have to be more careful so um unfortunately um further medical problems um but um from, it seems that he's okay now um and hopefully his follow-up for the um, moment for the moment i really but, i really still think i really still think that that all of his stuff should have been funded on GoFundMe, no ifs, ands, or buts from the Trek community. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't care if you think, you know, uh, Tim Russ is a bigger name. The moment somebody in a community you were involved in says, I need help, I am reaching out, it's, that's not, you know, that's not something a normal person will wait until the last possible to ask. And when it's, especially when it's medical and private and, and all sorts of hell to go through, this should have been funded by at least the Star Trek online community from the get go. Him keeping his house, him, you know, when he couldn't keep his house, him moving, all of that it should have been funded anyway. There's, there, there, there should have been no reason that all of this crap had to have happened to him. Yeah, well, unfortunately, most of these fundraising things, a lot of people do it because of the rewards. And when it comes to things like these GoFundMes, there aren't the perks. So people don't do it. And despite the fact that Star Trek is a brighter look to what we could be in our future. Um, most people don't think like that. Um, and we've seen that sort of thing when it, well, even if you just look at Axanar, the way um, big parts of the community turned against each other. Um, unfortunately, we're not there yet. But on the topic of GoFundMe, um, Mav does actually have a new um, GoFundMe. He is looking for um, $500. Basically, he's had to leave a lot of stuff um, back where his original home was in Cleveland um, because he, he didn't have the money and couldn't raise the money to bring everything with him. Now, he's looking to basically get back to work properly, but a lot of his equipment, um, his software, hardware has basically been left on the other side of the country. Um, so what he's put um, for the description of the GoFundMe is, well, after making an amazing trip from Cleveland, Ohio, to 
um, Gresham, Oregon, after losing my home and my family to health complications related to my rare kidney disease in late 2016. I have started to settle in temporarily at my friend's home with his family. Unfortunately, I had to leave a lot of important items behind at my parents' home in Ohio in order to make the drive to Oregon. It's been tough finding work and I'm trying to reopen my computer business here in Oregon. And I realize how much I need is what I left behind after I got here. It's been a real struggle, complete personal and business related tasks within limited resources and equipment I have access to. What I'm trying to do is raise the money so I can retrieve my items and equipment that I left behind. Much of this is business related equipment computers and software that the business cannot function properly without and myself personally cannot afford to just repurchase. It would be greatly appreciated if you can help me out. The ability to have this equipment again would greatly increase my productivity and the chances of successfully relaunching my business services here in Oregon. Thank you in advance for your consideration and help. So he's still looking to get himself back on his feet. And um, so, yeah, he is reaching out to the community again. So if you would like to help him and you can help him, um, please head over to gofundme.com forward slash Tom's hyphen moving hyphen fund. And as I said, he's looking to raise 500 pounds to basically help him finish getting back on his feet. So, uh, um if you are unable to help financially, um, you can always help by sharing the link. So, and the link, of course, will also be in our show notes. Now, we've also got um, something about one of our listeners, Fred Ortiz. Stu? Yep. Um, in the last week, Fred Ortiz has, he's live streamed two videos on Twitch of the Temporal War. So these streams have been ported across and are available to watch on YouTube. But he's been doing a playthrough of STO on the Klingon side. And in the last week he's started and finished the Temporal War in two marathon sessions. So as well as doing his Star Trek Online shows, he's also been doing a small project where he reviews episodes and he's called this Treks and Voyages so on Sunday he released a new episode of that where he reviews the episode Damage from Enterprise which it basically focuses on the Enterprise being heavily damaged by constant Zindi attack and they come across someone who's having problems in the the expanse in the area. There's pockets of space-time that's damaging their ship. So the Enterprise rescues them and says, well, we helped you out. You've got some vital gear that we need to fix the Enterprise and go and, you know, speak to the Zindi and save Earth. And these guys are like, sorry, but you can't have this stuff. We We need it. We need these pieces of machinery so we can get back home. So it ends up in Archer just blatantly robbing them, beams aboard, stuns them, and loots the machinery from engineering. Turns around and says, sorry, 
leaves him some food and then flies away and sort of left with that sore taste in his mouth like yeah we just uh, we just robbed them and pirated their stuff kind of shouldn't have done that but we had to because if we didn't earth would be destroyed by the zindi you know one of those uh how where is the line and how far do you go when you cross it sort of thing well it definitely shows the the <laughs> it shows the very seeds of the beginning of section 31 that's for sure sure they didn't kill anybody i don't think but yeah they still kind of wholly disabled a vessel that would then take years to get itself back to its own home just so that they could save Earth. And remember, all this stuff takes place before the Federation. So this is yeah. basically the very seeds of Section 31. Or oh, they could have just been thinking of things the Vulcan say. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And again, the seeds of Section 31. Section 31's kind of credo is doing the things the Federation can't do to save the Federation. Yeah. Or, y'all aren't going to blow up my planet. Hey, you got some shit? All right, I'm stealing it. They ain't blowing up my planet. But they were a little bit nicer in their piracy than that. They said, here, have some food that'll, at least you'll be alive. Here's some food that'll last you a couple of months of a year's journey. Okay. Well, links will be in our show notes if you'd like to check out what Fred Ortiz is doing. Alright, so, time for some community feedback. Community feedback. Join with us. Share your thoughts. Resistance is futile. Things just keep getting better. <laughs> like, I, I know we don't have it this week, but play the play the... Play the, the, the science lab, please. Play the science lab. You are the science lab. Yes. Science lab. Oh my gosh. Yes! My, my whole thing is why does it now sound like like the science lab is very seductive? Like, what are they really doing in the science lab nowadays in Star Trek? Never mind, science. I don't want to know. Because obviously it has something to do with... Biology. Yeah, it has to do with <laughs> biology, alright. <laughs> like, that, that, ain't, that isn't normal Starfleet science there. They're not remodulating a shield. They're getting some torpedo penetration, if you know what I mean? Tinkering about with her front yeah. deflector. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, on to community feedback. <laughs> hey, you've played it. you got to deal with the consequences. <laughs> no, no. I asked for it, remember? Yeah, he played it, though. He said yes. Yeah, well, that's, that's what consent. she said. Yeah, that's, that's consent. consent. That's his fault. <laughs> Okay, so then, then the whole science thing was kind of a, a, a man versus woman interaction anyway. Uh, see, bam, science proved it. On a community feedback. <laughs> Wait, who's, who's reading what this time? I'll start being that I trust me 
<laughs> Community question number one. Looking back at the last seven years of Star Trek Online, what have been your best and worst moments? Darakos on the Stowe Forum says that the worst moment would have to be the year of hell. The best moment was the first day playing AOI since TOS is my favourite out of the series. And of course, AOI is Agents of Yesterday. And the year of hell is the content drought somewhere between, I want to say, seasons three and four? Yeah, that's around 2011. That's when I started playing Star Trek Online. But of course, everything then was new to me. So while I was playing all the new content, everybody else was getting very bored. Joseph Elder II has written a book for us. So the first part of the book is in the the questions section. Uh, one of the best moments of Stowe for me was when the Kelvin timeline was added to the game mentioned before that I'm a big fan of the Kelvin films. The inclusion of not only the uniforms and the beautifully modelled ships, but an entire story episode dedicated to, to it was enough to make me put on that Andy Dwyer, I don't know who that is, face during the entire time spent reading the devlogs. I never thought it would happen and I fully accepted it, but then wham, but then wham there it was. It was surreal. Calvin Lockbox happened the year after the FF7 remake and Cloud Strife and Smash 4 were announced. Nerd dreams do come true. The other of the greatest moments for me was the Galaxy Class model revamp. It started when Jam Jams was revamping the in-game model of the Intrepid Class. That was the first of the ship revamps that closely, closely resembled Canon model it was done because Voyager was going to be featured in a lot of expansion Delta Rising when Thomas Moroni set out to make the Andromeda Tier 6 galaxy. The ship wasn't going to be featured in anything. There were no actual plans to replace the old model. Thomas then went out of his way to use the spare time. He had put in extra hours on the galaxy revamp whilst working on the primary Andromeda project. Okay, pause. Yeah, I see you playing about up there. Click that. That's the face. Oh, right. Okay. Okay, there you that, go. Now that you know. was in the initial yeah, uh, feedback yeah. thing. That's, yeah, that's the face. That's the face he had while reading those Kelvin blogs. Okay. Finding, finding my place. Thanks, son. That's such a feel-good moment. It's not every day when you see employees put in extra hours to do something because they're fans. Big enough fans to give up some of the, so much of their free time. Since then, the feedback has been positive and we've been fortunate enough to have even more ship revamps. Intrepid, Galaxy, Prometheus, Galaxy X, Defiant, Sovereign, Nebula. And recently they did the NX as well. Yeah, I the, hope that the list... NX refit. Uh, yeah, they remastered the skins of the basic NX as well. Yeah. I hope that list keeps growing. Luna class next, please. One more shout-out to Michael Dorn and Denise Crosby for joining Stowe. The inclusion of Worf and Tasha made me mark out pretty hard. After those two, we started to pick up a lot more celebrities at a steady pace. Wait, one more. Legacy of Romulus. I was a TNG guy, and the Diderodex is my favourite non-Starfleet ship. To be able to, to be able to make a Romulan and fly the Diderodex... That by itself was enough to get me excited. 
I remember saving up Zen to get the T4 and T5 Dedera decks and claiming them on the sea store. Good times. As for the worst moments in Stowe, losing Trendy. That one was pretty bad. Godspeed, clever girl. Get it? Because raptors? Okay, I'll show sh- I'm not even going to touch the can of worms that happened on the Spock Nimoy Memorial Monument. Incredibly awkward, I'll leave it at that. Scrolling down, give me a second. Alex Wonder. Best moments. Playing through Stowe for the very first time. Going into sector space for the very first time. Hearing Leonard Nimoy's sector narrations for the first time. Every time I got a new ship during that journey. All those references and nods to all of Star Trek. Sure. Some of the stories were not quite up to par, but you could feel that someone put effort into it. Flying through the darker sector space for the first time. At launch, sector space was much brighter, and I think astrometric view was always on. Teaser announcement launch of Legacy of New Romulus. After playing through the Romulan and new Klingon starter stories for the very first time, it's almost as if someone in marketing actually knew how knew about marketing back then shrugs uh, i have to agree with that the the 20 day timer thing i've mentioned that before was absolutely brilliant visiting the spock statues on vulcan and new romulus and having a moment of silence with all those other people i didn't know i did not experience the incident you mentioned probably because of time zones i mean it was a terrible moment in real life but a great moment in game Worst moments, the Bajoran fire caves. You should have seen that disaster. The Boff AI just broke down completely. You could not get them to walk across those catwalks, walkways, bridge thingies. Even the move command did not help. It was such a mess. I think they fixed it a few months later, but the first incarnation was an experience. An orb experience? I don't remember that very well, but... It was the like, early Cardassian arc. Yeah, there was some kind of weird touchstone on that one person that we saw that one time in that one episode, and she turned out to be possessed by the Pa-Wraiths. You, you, you mean Keiko O'Brien? No, it was some Cardassian, but... Like, in that mission, you go to Cardassia, you get her, you bring her to the fire caves, and she goes, Ah, I'm the Pa-Wraiths, ah... And uh, then you kill her. And then... See, I don't even remember that mission. <laughs> I don't know, it's probably so forgettable, that's why they gutted it out. Anyway, moving swiftly forward. The announcement of Delta Rising. I mean, the announcement at STLV was not bad. But it happened on Saturday? Sunday? And then it took PW until Friday to post an official announcement? No, just no. Well, yeah, it did happen on a Saturday, because I remember I saw it live-streamed by P1, but, I mean, they were all at Vegas. No wonder it took them, like, a week to publish it. They were probably all recovering from hangovers. Yeah, but even then, marketing should have been on top of, oh, hey, the announcement has been made, let's post the official announcement come Monday morning. Not, let's wait until the end of that week to post it. Dunno. Holidays. Whatever. It was the middle of summer. The, the US doesn't have a holiday in the middle of summer like that. 
not normally. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't run their marketing department. I'm just going to use that line as a cop out. Don't know. Yeah, but see, this is the thing. Alex has constantly been asking, "Who runs the marketing department?" And to be honest, I would like to know. We discussed this the other day. There's some little old lady in Leningrad who's got a bottle of vodka at her side, a mule at the other side, and she and just a copy copies, paste machine. Copies and paste things using um, paper, not computers, and she just sort of posts it out to someone who feeds it into a scanner, and boom, it puts it on the internet. Is I mean, hell, my... isn't this why Chekhov said that she invented scotch? She just printed out the recipe and put it on the internet? Yeah. Okay. Is is this also why the Vesta stat said that these were flagships? Probably. Also note that in the recent blogs that I moved into our show notes, server was misspelled as sever several times. This is just kind of... <sighs> this this kind of makes the question more poignant. You better trek yourself before you wreck yourself. Triggity trek yourself before you wreck yourself. As you recently said in one of your blogs when you were selling stuff. Anyway, moving swiftly onwards. The leveling exploit in Delta Rising. See, I didn't use it. I didn't know what had happened. But then they announced that there was an exploit and they would let people keep some of those ill-gotten gains. I thought that was thoroughly generous. See, real game devs take away all those ill-gotten gains, and depending on the severity of the exploit and your history with the game, you would get an infraction, a temporary ban, or even a permanent ban. You see, I I don't know, because I don't know if that was actually an exploit, because they were just... They weren't playing the content oh, no, no, no. that Cryptic no, no, no. wanted well, them to no. play. No, it was wholly an exploit. It was it was they were running this Kazon mission and the Kazon mission was rewarding improper experience and they were constantly replaying the mission so that they could level up and blow through the <laughs> newly introduced specialization system. Well it was something it, to do with Taudea. It it wasn't it wasn't it, it it ended up being Argala what they got but it started with Japori in the Beta Quadrant it started with something that's been around for a while it's just a sector mission but if you got a five man and this was before the thirty minute lockout that is done on the sector patrols and your red alerts now um, you could go in with a team of five do a Japori Elite. With a group of five people, clear it in five minutes. You got enough experience to fill up half of an experience bar, three quarters of an experience bar, and then as soon as it was done, you just kept going back in. So people were just spamming Japori Elite, and they were getting, you know, if you're spending three to five minutes when this all this first came out, so you're struggling with getting your power creep up to where you can handle it. Three to five minutes for almost a full spec point. You could get the whole thing maxed out pretty quickly. It started there, and then they nerfed it, and they started imposing some bans. Some people lost some of the spec points that they got. Um, and then people found that they could do it in Argala, 
And it, I think it took a little bit longer for them to find it there because, oh, hey, people are playing the new content. They're not just using old content to power level. And but it started, it started with Japori, Japori. Nobody said anything. Yeah. But it started with Japori. That's where it all started. And then when people moved on and found they could do it in Argala, it took longer because A, nobody was talking about it. And then B, it was part of the brand new content. So they're like, oh, well, they're playing the new content. Then it was like, oh, wait a minute. They're doing the same thing they did before. Because I was, I remember that. I, I remember I did like four or five runs of Japori uh, with a group, and they're like, "Just stay in, stay in." I'm like, "No, nah, I got to get some other things done." And I couldn't understand why we. They kept running it. They kept running it, and I'd, I'd come back two days later. They're still hovering over the planet, and then the announcement came out. Oh well, you know, there's a an exploit with this system. It's like, oh, that's why. That makes sense. Uh, according to Alex, see, th- there was an official quote from somewhere that people were actually, what was happening in these systems were people were gaining experience at 17 times the normal rate they were supposed to. Well, well that's what I'm saying. You you go into a Japori Elite now, and you're not getting that much. You're not getting three quarters to a full bar of experience. And plus, there was no lockout for it either. You didn't have a 30-minute lockout. So you're getting almost a full bar every time you do it. There's no lockout timer, so you can just keep doing it. You don't have to wait 30 minutes. And suddenly the people who had just introduced an entirely new way to level up, finding that people were already at the end of that level, and they were like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. Because people had already maxed out what we started off with, which we started off with the intelligent specialization which was our first primary. And then we had pilot, I believe. And command. No, we started off with Intel and commando. I remember correctly. And then pilot came next, but it was like people had already maxed out all of that. And commando and pilot were half specs. Yeah. They were secondaries. Yeah. And people had already maxed out all three of them. And it was day two of Delta rising. And that's what threw up the red flags as people had leveled up so fast just doing sector patrols because they were doing what they were doing. It's like, yeah, I've already finished it. Now I'm at max. And, oh, this is kind of cool. Kind of kind of kind of puts a push pin in that 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 argument. Uh, Sector patrols don't reward anything except when they're an exploit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then cryptics fix up script field and they let people keep everything. No, just no. When you call an exploit, therefore calling all those people exploiters or cheaters, you will make the script work or die trying. I'm not even kidding. Exploits are a serious business. You do not just throw that word around lightly. They could have called it an unfortunate bug, given their players some cosmetic items or pets in exchange for their ill-gotten gains and apologised a million times, but how Cryptic handled the whole thing was just atrocious. In the Iconian War, specifically Time and Tide, the whole story arc just disappointed me. House Peg was already not good, and the Time and Tide made me angry. Actually angry. I just wanted to yell at whoever was responsible for that one. Not because it was so bad, but because a lot of the many, many issues I had with that episode could have been solved with tiny rewrites here and there. 
and the Connie. The Connie. The upcoming NX refit. But I guess it all started with the endgame version of the Excelsior. That's what grinds Alex's gears. Well, I, I feel like it's important to mention he's talking about both Connie's, the K, the Kelvin timeline Connie, and then then the tier six constitution we, uh, we got. And I emphasized the way I was saying it. Yeah, but you still have to make the distinction, otherwise it sounds like you're saying the same word twice, because that's that's how English works. Those English laws. Community question two. What do you think of the gauntlet in Star Trek timelines? Datacost responded on the snow forums. Try timelines. When I hit a paywall, I uninstalled. Fair so, enough. He hasn't played it. <laughs> so. But, um, yeah, regarding the gauntlet, um, they did the event and... Yeah, it looks like they're making updates, so it's currently still unavailable, but they're looking to bring it back um, later this month. Community question three. What do you think about the new Star Trek Discovery logo and production trailer? Datacost and the Snow Forums responded, Ugh, I kind of hate it. If Discovery is set ten years before Kirk, that means the Enterprise under Pike or April is still flying around, so why is Discovery using the Delta then? Yes, all the agrees. All the agrees with that. Chozo Elder has a response to that. Chozo Elder second on the Snow Forums said, Logo's fine. I think I'll go into the details on my feedback. The trailer was nice, though I didn't like that they showed what obviously wasn't a ship from the TOS era. It was too early to show stuff like that. You can't really say it was the... That you can slap a TOS skin on that wireframe model. There's already too much detail just from looking at the nacelles that look like what you would see in Stowe. To be fair though, almost everything in Trek has some sort of temple shenanigans going on. It's almost tradition by now, so it's not like that's a surprise. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What if this is the... What if this little itty-bitty peak was the Stowe crossover anyway? Was the actual Discovery Stowe crossover? Yeah, that's feasible. I believe we asked that of Rikosa, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And he, he said, never say never. Uh, and, and again, it was temporal shenaniganry that, that has us fiddling about with the, the Kelvin timeline too, so... Uh, yeah. Alex Wonder by the Stowe Forums. You know, I didn't like the first logo that much. And since this one looks much like, much more like the logo we're used to, including the fact that the material it's made of looks much smoother now, I guess I'll try to cater to the lowest common denominator instead of trying to stick to their, their vision. See, if it's just the logo, fine, whatever. Brand recognition and that stuff. I understand. But that's not better marketing. It's just easier, cheaper marketing. If they use it as the insignia crest, however, you want to call those symbols or one or more of the ships, that would indeed be lazy. Nobody forced them to choose this time period like nobody forced the Enterprise production team to make a prequel. If you decide to make a prequel, I will judge you by the way you treat established lore. 
if you don't want to deal with that, make a new timeline, or if you want to use the Delta specifically to make a sequel side equal. And the warp thing was not a retcon, retroactive change to the continuity. Ah, huh, thanks for explaining that. I've always wondered what that meant. But explained as a rescaling of the warp factors, you can question that and call it silly, but they did not rewrite established lore. And yes, that other ship looks really advanced. I understand that making a ship look older than those ships that were futuristic in the 60s is difficult, so don't make prequels? Yeah, I like that as well. Move forward, not backward. So we had some competition entries for the prizes for our 250th. Should I read these out? Can you read them out? Yeah. Please do. I, uh, okay. So, uh, preface here. In episode 250, we had a little contest, and it's kind of gone on for two weeks because things and issues and, and stuff. So, we asked our commenters to leave us a review of Signs and Portents and both of the new Zenkethic cues. And based on the ones that we like, not that is the most positive or the most negative, but just felt the most fun, we would award uh, prizes to from our 250th uh, event. So Alex Wunger uh, reviewed of Signs and Portents. What I liked, we learned that the we learned about the history of the Lakari and their ancestors slash brethren, the Kintari. At least we presume we do. We established first contact with Proveni, and Rodek and Kumarki are not completely useless. What I didn't like. It was weird to keep asking Kumarki about the Kentari immediately after the shocking discovery. We send out an engineering team to help the Proveni. Remember K-13? It would have been nice to spend a little more time on the Kentari and their fate. Same with the Proveni. The final ground battle was a little excessive. There was a note put in by somebody, very factual and to the point. Logical, Captain. That was me that made that note. Okay. Yeah, it is. In I have to agree. The final battle was a little it was a little over the top. I mean, it, it seemed like something you would you would st stick in as a, as a queue event, not really a something in a single player mission. You know? I mean, we've had stuff like this before on the what were they? The um, Temporal Cold War Ugly-looking devil faces, plasma weapons, red eyes. They're not cool. That's it. We had to protect Captain What's-His-Face from his Wales-class ship as he was trying to make the ship explode. We've had stuff like this before, but because it was such an enclosed space, it seemed a lot more excessive and a lot more cramped than the other ones. Know, than, than other versions of this game mechanic that we've used before. Also, if you didn't have the <laughs> radiation gun from the Crystalline event, it was probably <laughs> difficult. Um, first time I played through it, I had the, the radiation gun, and it was brilliant. The second time I played through it, all my away team had TR-116s. So, um, yeah, it just... It just eats them. 
<laughs> I think they just need to... No, I, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking, because they'll probably make the next enemy ridiculously difficult, and yeah. So, Chozo Elder Second actually reviewed all three things, and two of those things, we're all going to act! Yay! I will narrate, too. Okay, so proper... The, the proper review was for Signs and Portents. Uh, said, uh, Chosen Elder said, Good non-repetitive space exploration in Star Trek Online almost seems abstract. Recommendations are always either too big in scope or they're far too small and not worth it. It got to the point where I thought the Foundry was our only resort. Then the recent episode came. Is it short? Yes but it honestly scratches that Trek-ish discovery itch I had. I commend the team for remembering players' requests and sprinkling it into the story. One gripe I have is that the mission is... Uh, one gripe I have with the mission is that the contact with the... Uh, is the contact with the Zinkethi. I wanted more than just 20 seconds of talking to them. And now for the two cues. I'll go with Stu's idea and infer how I feel about them through a little story. Gravity kills. We've collected enough particles to get past the barrier protecting the anchors, Sun explained. Then let gravity do the rest. Midnight. Oh god, he's not died, has he? Oh, I, I don't know. No, I was sorting other things out. We need you, man. Scrolling down. <laughs> it's the professionalism that really sells the show. Even since we started the show... With me not bothering to open the notes or open Twitch or anything like that. Okay, if, if when he finds it, when he finds it, I'll start over again, okay? Yeah, sorry, I was sorting some other bits out. <laughs> so, uh, I've highlighted the beginning portion. Okay, have you found it? Alex Wonder in chat says, Jeopardy music. That's about it. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, so I'm in the right bit. Should we just start again from the top? That's what I, yeah, I'm going to do that. Okay, so the review for Gravity Kills. We've collected enough particles to get past the barrier, protecting the anchors, Sun explained. Then let gravity do the rest. This is fun. Fighting against the pull adds new depth to the gameplay. It's like fighting in stormy seas. Said Midnight at first objective. Two objectives later. This is still you. Okay, this is a lot rougher than before. Emergency power to engines. Can't, Sun said in a melancholy tone. It's on cooldown. Ow! Stewdog exposed a wiry grin. Midnight, I perfectly understand the gravity of our predicament. Our situation really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> now you know why I insisted on we uh, us actually playing this out. So, here's the one for Zinkethi Front. Arf, what do we do again, Arf? Stewdog asked Midnight. Carry the bombs towards the enemy bases. Full impulse, full impulse, Stu. Ordered Midnight after capturing, uh, after capturing a bomb. Nothing happens. Don't make me get the newspaper, threatened Sun. We can't. Not with the bomb. We can't even deploy the bomb under the suppression. Where's our support? Oh, Sun said nonchalantly. They charged at the enemy, and yeah, 
They don't even know their weak spot. You mean Zenkethi front? Orf? I warned you, Sun said, grabbing the newspaper. <sighs> At least this isn't one of the DPS obsessed cues. If I think that's bombs, brilliant. If any face bombs were made by reading this, I regret nothing. It's brilliant. I do. I absolutely loved it. So, uh, Garakus. Is it Garakus or is it Garrix? I would have said Garrix. So, okay, That's what I'm thinking Gar- as well. Garrix31 commented and uh, uh, with the review of Science and Portents. The episode is another good example that missions can be done without placeholder fight options. Good story, good maps. For the first map, for the first map, recommending fast ships and equipment. Second map, good story. Ground map, beautiful map, and an interesting revelation. Rewards are interesting, concentrating to speed abilities. Will speed be important in future gameplay? Well, it is in Gravity Kills, so... Kind of. And then Darakos added a Signs Important Tense review. Well, it was okay, but after a while it was very annoying to me. We have the Lucari, whom we helped build a ship, lead us through a mission to have us do all the scanning and guesswork on the mission. While dragging along an angry Klingon who fought Gorn Voth hybrid reptile thingy creatures before, but maybe not since he has fake memories to begin with, and then confront said creatures without any type of diplomacy, which still should have which still should be the staple of a Federation character, and beam down and shoot them in the face, and protomatter isn't all that bad. Gravity kills? Not too bad, but the loot ends up in the singularity. Played it a couple of times, but it was meh after a while. Zenkethi front. It's Days of Doom with more bombs. Pass. So, are we voting on this now? Are we going to do it and announce it next week? Um, I think we should announce it next week, mainly because work's been so busy that I haven't had a chance to read through it all properly. Um, so we will let people know. And what I'll do is I'll be asking for you to provide your email address so you can get sent um, the prizes. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to read through the feedback properly. So thank you for your reviews of the missions. Um, and and uh, thank you, Alex Wunger. Apparently it's pronounced Garrick Section 31. Or S thirty one. So um so yeah. Um actually what we'll do is we will talk after the show about who will be the winner and we will announce it in the blog. Okay. So general feedback. Yay. Okay. Is is that a person? Well, if they are, they're Klingon. General feedback and there's oh something uh, okay. else. Okay. Okay, okay. I, I I don't know who did that, but when I heard the whomp, I I imagined Midnight's face hitting his desk. Oh god, don't like, say I don't that. Know, I, well, I don't know who it is, but it sounds Klingon. Whomp. <laughs> okay, so Chozo Elder Second had general feedback. This is the part about the, the 
the Kelvin and and the the patches and stuff. The back and forth that went on with you guys on the Delta got me to go to Memory Alpha uh, and other sites because I honestly don't know the origin of it. Most of this stuff is copy-pasted. I'm not even going to bother with the USS Kelvin and the USS Franklin from the newer movies because that's get, that gets people pretty salty really fast. So, moving on. The five-pointed star contained in the arrowhead goes all the way back to Mako. The Delta itself goes back to United Earth before the United Federation of Planets was formed. The US, UESPA uh, probe that launched in 2076 from Voyager, Friendship 1, has the Delta on its hull. As for the Federation of Planets... After the Federation of Planets was formed, Mako was disbanded, but the UESPA was still a thing. In 2155, Starfleet's UESPA emblem had the Delta. Enterprise ends here, and Discovery starts. It doesn't really matter if the UESPA decides to, later on, change the logo or not. That's irrelevant. By now, the UESPA has been known to use it. And since they were still around, and that they've been known to use the Delta, you can still infer that perhaps some ships had some sort of variation of the Delta before the USS Enterprise did. Discovery having the Delta is still plausible. It could just mean that the use of the Delta was at least used occasionally, here or there, before big, huge, brave boss Enterprise stepped in to do their thing and make it official. There is also this that I never actually uh, knew up until now. Remember that I got into Trek later than most, so bear with me. And in a post from 17, uh, 1701 News uh, about the birth of the Starfleet insignia, this is a quote, but according to a memo from Bob Justman, Star Trek associate producer to William Ware, thesis, series costume designer Gene Roddenberry, uh, uh, William Ware thesis was the series costume designer, Gene Roddenberry had confirmed that all Starship personnel wear the Starship emblem that we have established for our Enterprise crew members to wear. Let me read that again so everybody hears it clearly. All Starship personnel wear the Starship emblem that we have established for our Enterprise crew members to wear. Dated December 18th, 1967, the memo is part of Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek television series collection, 1966 to 1969. Stored in the film, uh, stored in the film, television, and the- uh, theater archival collections at the University of California at Los Angeles. Doubtless, this situation has arisen due to the fact that different starship emblems were used. Uh, Last season on Charlie X, Justman wrote. However, the personnel of the other ship in that show were the equivalent of merchant marines or freighter personnel, and therefore not entitled to bear the proud insignia of their individual and collective... Or, oh, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a bleeped word or not. I think that's a bleeped word from the forum, Stu. Okay. Uh, please do not do anything to correct this understandable mistake in the present episode, The Omega Glory. However, 
we should have Starfleet personnel in any other episode, or should we have Starfleet personnel in any other episode, please make certain that they wear the proper emblem. It's, it's interesting to note that the Enterprise's insignia was actually intended to be Starfleets from the beginning, and that the scenes show the Exter and Constellation patches were production mistakes. This is still part of the quote, by the way, this, this whole thing. Okay, so that's the end of the quote. There's nothing going on that explicitly breaks this part of the canon. So we're not quite entirely there at breaking my immersion levels, I think. Quote one of Sun's, one of the things Sun says sometimes. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I'm being 100% honest when I say I'm not certain on what's actually canon because I'm not that deep into it. It's just me Googling stuff for the first time. But like what Sun hinted at, this is all just pointless nerd banter about an insignia. We do it for funsies, or at least I do. We can literally be told that's our retcon and we're sticking to it because we're lazy and there's nothing we can do about it. So I don't know. Take it as you will. The Tier 6 Cross-Faction Mission Explorers. Everybody shut up right now. Gorn ships. Once again, nerd dreams do come true. I won't be getting them right now, but I'll save up for them eventually. Thank you, Cryptic, for listening. Maybe now there's a chance that you'll get your Tier 6 Orion ship one day, son. My goodness, I overdid it again. Sorry. It's okay, we like engaging feedback. It also brought up some stuff I didn't know, and now Stu has to think about whether or not he hates the Delta. Sorry, son, I was just off um, looking somewhere else. The leaped word from the forum, I found the quote, it's breasts, um, and therefore not entitled to bear this proud insignia on their individual and collective breasts, used in a very innocent term, it seems, that the forums have... Gobbled it. it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, uh, how, what do what do you what do you think about that? The fact that the that that Gene Roddenberry himself said the Delta was supposed to be Starfleet's emblem, and that these other patches are quite literally production mistakes. That that's that's mental. <laughs> well, if if I'm not mistaken. Um, a lot of the weirder other ship things that we saw were third season, weren't they? Just trying to think through the original series. Yeah, there were a lot of ships that appeared in the third season. Because there was by the, the Omega you know, Glory. There was the M5 computer. We, there was we, we have the to remember. Tholian Web. So they all had other ships with different patches on them. Well, you you have to you have to remember, you know, if if we're in third season territory when all of these other patches are getting made, Gene Roddenberry's not even there. Yeah, it's possible that there could be someone in the sort of team making things who's guys at this time have served in the World War, and they're treating ships like the way that different. Aircraft carriers would have different patches representing them, or different air bases would have different patches representing them. So they're just logically basing it on their own experience and using different patches for different ships. 
can't remember who it was who stated that there was someone in the team of the original series who had worked out of Air Force bases. I think it was Fred Ortiz, actually, who stated that. And then someone in later Trek worked on helicopters. Well, uh, you know, and and here's the thing: if it was a production, if it was if it was a production mistake in the eyes of Roddenberry, who wasn't even there at the time because he was kind of let go at that point, it's it was somebody else. It was somebody else making a new vision at, at that point. Then wouldn't it wouldn't it be considered that? I mean, because you have Gene saying one thing, and then with him not being there in the third season, they're making all of these changes, and he's not there to say no. Uh-huh. Um, sorry, I was just reading some more of the blog that I'd found. You know, it references a lot of the appearances of other emblems to Bob Justman, and that they'd created patches for the the Defiant and the Tholian Web and the Amiga Glory and Decker's patch in the the Doomsday Machine says that some of the patches were they weren't ship patches but they were fleet patches for higher ranking officers so it was more that it symbolized rank rather than ship oh it gives me a headache <laughs> it's well I think well think about it this way remember the the, the we don't really see rank on the normal crew constantly about the only time we see rank is when we see Kirk in the green shirt with the little stripes on it or when they're in formal wear and they have the little gold striping to designate their their rank so that would make sense to have a a rank based patch that they wore Ranks it's, were it's, shown on the on the sleeves as well of the uniforms. But see, not all of them had it because I, I want to. I want to say it's just the senior staff. Um, so you'd got um, the captain and the second in command. Um, I think it had it. Maybe Scotty did as well. I think the rest didn't. Yeah, because I'm I'm pretty sure Uhura didn't have like the gold stripes on her sleeves. And it's like, well, you know, okay, that that would make sense formally, but you know, outside of already knowing their rank, how do you tell their rank? Uhura did have braiding on her sleeve. Quick um, Google search, and it would seem that in the mirror universe, you couldn't really tell what rank a female was because they just didn't really seem to wear anything. <sighs> well. In any case, uh, Derekos, wait a minute. Okay. He added these on the 7th to feedback from episode 250. Okay. Okay. So Derekos replied from for, to our community questions from episode 250. The keys, the, the three keys we had to give away were for the community questions. Uh, has the circuit project interested you in donating to the Kickstarter in March? Not really. What do you like, dislike about Stowe's seventh anniversary event? It's the same as last year's, so... 
Three, what is your favorite timeline event and why? I still hate timelines. And this is one of the reasons why I said we'll go back and um, do the choosing of the prizes after the show because we've got some prizes for the community questions which we did cover last week and things like that. So it'll just be easier to go through and um, do that either after the show or over the weekend. And now for Alex's novella. Good morning, Tribbles. Feedback. Non-combat slash combat light. Where do I even begin? Who is this game's target audience? Who are the whales? How can you claim that people hate non-combat slash combat light missions when your example is of Bajor? That's like saying people didn't like like Dr. Light episodes during David Tennant's run as the Doctor, and then using the Absorvaloff episode as proof. I like that episode. Well, yeah, but then again, you're you're. It is a very Doctor Light episode. It's a good episode, but it's Doctor Light. It doesn't have much of the Doctor until the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, he's literally there for the last five minutes. Right. Disclaimer: Of Bajor is not nearly as bad as Doctor Who's Absorbalov episode. <laughs> wow. Blink was another Dr. Light episode, and that episode was not nearly as bad. I mean, when I called Of Bajor poorly paced, you called it too long. So you know that there may be other issues with it. Same with the episode during the Breen arc that had us run back and forth on the Deferi ship, treating wounded treating wounded Deferi and interrog- interrogating that one Breen who presumably ended up defecting to us. I wouldn't call that engaging gameplay either. Don't get me wrong, I don't hate those episodes. I actually like the change of pace. It's just that replayability seems to be Cryptic's main, only concern. And some of these episodes work fine on a single playthrough. And after that, they become tedious. The problem is not that there is less content. The problem is that Cryptic seems to have trouble coming up with engaging, replayable, non-combat gameplay. I mean, do you remember the science ships don't sell, and then all of a sudden we get science ship after another? What changed? Were the older science ships not good enough? Were they underpowered? Underbalance? Whatever Sun yelled at Cryptic because of Science Vessel, what did... Whenever Sun yelled at Cryptic because of the Science Vessel, what did I do? I asked why. She didn't buy the Gorn ships, so I'm standing here doing the dev's job again. Why do people hate those episodes? I say it... I say it's because they don't offer compelling, engaging, or interesting gameplay. See, I would argue that you could take What Lies Beneath and cut one or two of the spider battles, maybe some uh, some other fight, maybe make some other fight a little more challenging, and the episode would still work because it's not a balls-to-the-wall action episode, but a suspense episode. People love and praise it for its atmosphere. At least some people, maybe the metrics, prove that people hate it. Shrug. You don't need to have all these mindless shoot-and-loot story arcs. Cryptic chooses to do them. Like 20th Century Fox chose to produce mediocre and sometimes downright bad comic book movies until they took 
a risk with Deadpool. And now we have some amazing trailers for an R-rated Wolverine movie. My brain is so ready for Logan. That sounded kind of hot. <laughs> Alex, are you are you hot for Logan? <laughs> not, not superhero thing. <laughs> superhero saturation is not cool. Can't be bothered. <laughs> hey, we released 40 million films, but if you watch like this one, nothing will make any sense to you. Sorry. You'll need to go back and like watch all the old ones. Perhaps buy them on DVD on the, the special edition versions that have like 40 million discs. And, okay, okay. Uh, I was waiting for Alex's response. He said, I am hype. <laughs> okay, good sir. And when you talked about this stuff, a lot of the story arcs we played before dealt with rather localized threats that might turn into galactic conflicts. The Breen story seemed to be about one Breen warlord. The Dominion arc made it clear we could have retaken DS9, but the price would have been rather high. The Romulan featured episodes dealt with a potential uprising slash civil war within the Star Empire. Delta Rising was about someone trying to conquer the Delta Quadrant. And when we had the potential galaxy-ending Iconian War, and the potential galaxy-ending Temporal War, and what will probably end up being a potentially galaxy-ending Zenkethi War, because if we don't threaten the whole galaxy, it's boring? Son. Yeah? What does a bowl of petunias say? Not again. Yup. Didn't think I'd get that reference, did you? Oh, I knew you'd get it. Okay. I just want. I. I just. I. I wanted to work off of someone else rather than just like sing the whole thing by myself. Okay. Of signs important portents. You know there. There is something I really wanted to get off my chest. Did anyone else notice how this episode was rather ironically self-aware? I mean, I yelled at cryptic because of those. Uh, all of those garbage scows that end up as T6 ships. And here we have an episode that specifically calls the Preventi Tech a hundred years behind our technology to explain how they were easily destroyed. Remind me how, uh, how old the Connies and Burrells and Excelsiors and D7s and Katingas and NX3 fits and do I have to continue? Or the part at the engineering uh, with the engineering team, I yelled at K thirteen blogs because there was no engineering team. I mean, it takes less than five minutes to write a sentence about how they were the only engineering team in the sector and had to use the only available modern shuttle to answer a distress call. Sure, that is boring because it happens all the time, but it would have been an explanation. And I'm not a writer. I don't get paid to come up with creative explanations. Or tell us how both the Iconian and the Temporal War left us with no spare personnel at all. But then that little sentence about advisors and counselors trying to help the K-13 crew acclimate would have looked stupid. And I would have yelled at Cryptic again for not showing us any of the supposedly terrible effect of those wars. See, the whole part with the Preveni... We make first contact with an entirely new species, and I would have loved to see more of that. They didn't show any they didn't know anything about us. We could have been in, in league with their attackers. They could have panicked and fired at us. 
and we would have had to talk them down. Or the Klingons might have blown them up, or the Romulans might have disabled them. Heck, we don't really know much about the Lakari either. It is entirely possible that that planet was not actually Kentar, or that the Kentari are still out there. I think that would have made a great final episode. Having a whole story arc traveling around with Kumarki, and then at the end of it all, we find the Kentari, or discover their fate. But the way the story seems to be right now, it feels like a lot of wasted potential. Again, the team clearly has great ideas. And hints at that, and hints at that, I keep confusing that word. The team clearly has great ideas, and hints at those ideas, in-game, and in some of the RP blogs. And then we end up with a generic war, hashtag XYZ. Job openings. Remember when I said those job openings don't mean the team is growing? Well, when we talked about the developer livestream, I made a statement that seemed to confuse Sun. The last time I ever heard about anything about elite artists was, I think when you had those two artists for an interview. You know, one of them loved the McDonald's jingle. I can't remember their names right now. Sorry. But I'm reasonably sure that Samuel Wall was still the lead artist back then. And when you had Kate Bankson and Jadoa Ross... He was not the lead content designer. The last lead content designer was Charles Gray. So after Ages of Yesterday launched, the Stowe team lost two leads. I don't know why, and it doesn't matter. That means those two positions, one content designer and one artist, needed to be filled to keep the head count the same. And the two leads are just the most visible positions that have been vacated. We don't know anything about those other job openings and whether they are new positions or replacements. Actually, kinda. The job thing itself says they're working on some sort of new secret project, but we don't know if that's the old Dan Stahl, we're working on a secret project thing, and then he goes off to do whatever he went off to do that's not even related to Cryptic at all. Um, and... We also have an entirely uh, scissored-in-half Stowe production team because half of those people are now working on PC and the other half are now working on the console. I'm sorry, that's the way it is. I mean, and you can, you know, people can sit here and say that's not the way it is. No, that's exactly the way it is. There is a team solely dedicated to the console now. And that's the way it's going to have to be, because somebody's going to have to make sure all the console stuff works, and that the ideas they come up with for the PC are integrated into the console. That means UI uh, creators, that means artists and designers, and all this other stuff that normally has to have, uh, that has to be had on the PC side, will now have to be solely dedicated for the console side. So yeah, when I asked a question, don't you aren't you afraid this will split the the team in half? And the you know Rikosa goes, well, no. Okay, I kind of know you're lying to me because that's exactly what you have to do, unless you hire an entirely new team that doesn't have a 
damn clue about what Star Trek Online is or how to function with it. Which means you have to train them from the ground up to work on Stowe, even if it's on a console. So, yeah, that, I just that was me ranting. That was not Alex. <laughs> <laughs> anniversary. So consoles do get the PC anniversary event just a few weeks after the PC crowd. And they get the Crenum Science Vessel instead. Well, have fun, console players. And still no infographic, unless I missed it. Actions and words, cryptic. Actions and words. If that confuses you, I'm hinting at actions speak louder than words. So that's the end of feedback. And we're what, almost five hours in now? Yep. Four and a half, yeah. So Facebook cut us off half an hour ago. <laughs> Live broadcast for Facebook. It's only four hours. Aww. Okay, so. But, um, quests. Could we, could we start, like, an Indiegogo campaign to raise, like, a billion pounds to extend the length of the Facebook broadcasting feature? We Man. could start it, yes. I wonder how many yeah. people would jump on board before we just walked Every, away with the money because Mark everybody Zuckerberg just, makes um, those decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Just pay us now and we'll totally do that. Uh, we'll approach Facebook later and get their permission and um, totally yeah, do we'll, that we'll, for yeah, yeah. Give us the million dollars now. We'll go to Facebook and get a license and then we'll interact with them about extending the length of the the uh, the stream time for their live events. Yeah. Sounds totally good. Totally okay. kosher. All right. So, community questions for this week's show. Question one. Are you going to buy the new science ships? Question two for timelines. Will we use the worksheet that we discussed? Question three. What are your thoughts on the new bumpers that Timmy D did for us? I know you've only heard some of them, but be interested to know what you think. And question four. What are your thoughts on the Deep Space Nine documentary? So, as always, you can get hold of us on social media. Twitter, Facebook, Google+, Star Trek, Riser, and Player.me. Get us at TribblesNXTC. You can also email us at hosts at TribblesNXTC.com. And you can always leave us a message using the widget on our post blogs. And you can also get to us through speakpipe.com forward slash TribblesNXTC. If you like to guess on syndication, you can find us every Wednesday at trekradio.net and subspace-radio.net and you can also catch us on iTunes and Google Play Music in North America. So, that's it for this week. Remember, if you'd like to join our fleets in Star Trek Online, it is Tribbles and Ecstasy Sci-Fleet and on the KDF it's Targs and Ecstasy. And for timelines, it's simply just at triples and ecstasy. So, thank you all for joining us, and we will see you next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye! Have a nice time! Good luck storming the castle! Au revoir.
Thanks for tuning in to tonight's broadcast of Triples in Ecstasy, a production of Holosuite Media. Tune in to our live show every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to check Holosuite Media, iTunes, and Stitcher Satellite Radio for our remastered shows and more. You can follow us on Twitter at Tribbles in XTC, or if you have any questions or comments, please send an email to TribblesinExtasy at gmail.com. Join us next week for another episode of Tribbles in Ecstasy, the only place where Tribbles and Klingons are friends.